0: Hey there. Just before we start the show, I want to let you know that we're doing a pledge drive to help cover our hosting and production costs for both Mega Ten Marathon and Combo Chain for the next year. It actually costs us over $500 a year, and so any amount you could contribute would be a huge help. Since it's a pledge drive, we've got some special giveaways. Not tote bags, unfortunately, but if you contribute $5, you'll get an episode on The World Ends With You months before it gets released. Contribute 10 bucks, and you'll get that, as well as a special deep dive episode on Persona 5 Royal. But seriously, any amount is a huge help. Uh, to contribute, head over to tinyurl.com backslash chain. Thanks so much for the support, and as always, for listening to the shows. to Combo Chain. It's a JRPG Games Club podcast. I'm Paul M. Davis and uh, this episode we're going to be doing Final Fantasy X. Who am I joining with today?
1: Hey Paul, this is Andy Reinhold. Thanks so much for having me. Um, producing a new show called life in games we're going to be focusing on people who've created unique careers in the gaming industry and i'm going to be telling the journeys on how they did it so super excited to work on the show and super excited to join you because this is something i've been looking forward to i for a couple days now for maybe even a week
0: yeah thanks so thanks so much for uh coming on yeah we hooked up randomly i just put a post up on uh Reddit saying specifically, I was looking for guests with unique takes on games, and uh, Andy reached out to me, and uh, he seems to be a uh, Final Fantasy X expert. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, I think you're hyping me up a little too much, but <laughs> I, I would say I nerd out on Final Fantasy X a huge amount. Non, like I can't. I always. It's a game I always come back to. It's a game no matter what kind of happens to me in my life there's always a time where i'm like man i really want to go back to find a fantasy 10 uh, and i played it so many times it's it's actually a disease at this point <laughs>
0: it's that's it's good to have those games i've definitely yeah. got a few of those uh before we get started here can you give us a little backstory i don't know your first experience with final fantasy 10
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely. So my first memory of it, my family had just bought a PlayStation 2. We were pretty lucky that we were able to get it. We, oh, fun little fact, we had bought the PlayStation 2 right before the first price drop. I just remember that right now. (laughs) Um, It was like literally two days before the first price drop. Um, That was back in the day where news on gaming blogs were just starting off, like the People didn't think to use the internet and check the rumor mill to see when price drops were happening. And I remember my dad was pretty upset about that, but we had it. And so we bought the PlayStation and I don't remember why, but we did buy Final Fantasy 10 as the first game. My younger sister and I, we popped it in, we played it through, we played it for two hours, uh, and then we turned the game off. And of course, we're... well. During those two hours, we were just blown away. We are so used to the 8-bit, 16-bit games. And so getting into Final Fantasy X for the first time was an absolutely mind-blowing experience. So we played the first two hours, enjoyed it very thoroughly. Just our eyes were bloodshot because we didn't want to blink. And we turned the game off uh, for the evening because our parents were telling us, go back to bed. And then we woke up the next morning, turned the game on. We're like, wait. We have to start over, and it's because we didn't buy memory cards. Oh, so, no. <laughs> this was where we learned a hard way. Yeah, disc-based games do not save the game on the disc. <laughs> and we were kids, so it was a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. But nonetheless, <laughs> we saved enough money to get a memory card, and when I finally finished the game a couple weeks later. <laughs>
0: oh, man, that's really funny. That's really funny. Yeah, the whole... I was, I was playing, we're going to be doing a uh, future episode on Gears and uh, uh-huh. I was playing a bit on uh, the PS3, which has the emulated memory cards. And yeah. even that, even the emulated like <laughs> hard drive memory cards are annoying to deal with. But <laughs> that really took me back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. everything used to save on cartridges back then, and and I just assumed mm-hmm. everything things would save on this hard drive that existed on the PlayStation, which wasn't dedicated for for games at all. So it was a nice uh, kick in the nuts. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I'm sure that's a, another in, example of Sony's classic. Yeah, um, <laughs> we'll try and find some proprietary file format to charge people extra, extra e- for yep. You know. Yep. Yep. Um, awesome. Let's uh, get started with chatting about the game. Oh, yeah, the backstory and development of Final Fantasy X was pretty interesting. Uh, it was only it was originally released in uh, 2001 for the PlayStation 2. But it's since been remastered on just about everything yeah. on um, yep. PS3, Vita, PS4, PC, and Switch. I think I played it originally on the Vita. Oh, wow. Yeah, you
1: had a Vita. <laughs> I had a Vita. That, that's the that's the amazing thing there. <laughs> I,
0: I did. I did. A, I didn't finish it on the Vita. I think at some point when I needed the cash, mm-hmm. I sold the Vita. But I've since picked it up again and finally completed it on Switch. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. The development of the game began in 1999, back when Square was just riding high on the world and mm. all its PS1 successes. It had a budget of more than uh, $32.3 million, which, considering in- inflation, I think is around $46 million. Yeah, and not, it had a not team that bad. Of, yeah. yeah, a team of more than 100 people. It's funny because yeah. those were huge numbers for the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're no longer <laughs> for a game yeah. of uh, this kind of scope.
1: Yeah, um, for sure. And I remember when so I remember when Final Fantasy X had all this playonline.com branding. So they had they were trying to launch something along with this online service when Final Fantasy X first began. And it, it they were they were using the service to, you know, test out their Final Fantasy IX Tetra card game. And then mm-hmm. I, I guess like what happened with Final Fantasy X, they just dropped the idea completely. So I wonder how much of that $32, $32.3 million budget was defunct, like code <laughs> that, that they had to abandon after not doing the play online stuff. Cause if you actually, uh, spin up the original PS2 disc, like, on the menu screen, you'll see all this playonline.com stuff.
0: And oh, they wow. just never
1: removed it. Yeah. Go back to an old ROM if you can find it. Oh, yeah, I mm-hmm. still have my DVD actually from my original game that still has its Square Soft branding. And <laughs> if, if I had a working PS2, it'll show that.
0: Wow. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's also probably a sign. This is the era of the spirits within and whatnot. Oh you yeah, know, that's right. Square was just willing to throw money at just about anything at the time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. <laughs> um, yep. For sure. Yep.
0: So yeah, producer Yoshinori was the chief director of Final Fantasy X. While the direction of events, maps and battles was split up between, Tor- Motomu Toriyama, Takayashi Nakazato and Toshiro, N- Tochida, yeah. Okay, Toshiro, yeah. Tochida, respectively.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Character designer uh, Tatsuo Nomura identified the South Pacific, Thailand, and Japan as uh, major influences on the cultural and uh, geographic design of uh, Spira, which is the world of the game. I feel like this is definitely the game where uh, Nomura started getting known for his excesses mm-hmm. in
1: his character. Yeah.
0: Character design. For
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah. Here, like for sure, like getting back to Kitase real quickly, like Kitase is he's of course he's got a lot of successes under his belt as a director, right? Like he's done Final Fantasy VI, he's done Chrono Trigger, he's I think he's a director for eight and nine as well. So Mm -hmm. he's got the rap sheet now. I have a love-hate relationship with this guy because like I see him as someone that has done amazing stuff, but at the same time he's maybe love hate is a little too strong like he's been stretched real thin now and you can really see it starting from Final Fantasy Fantasy like 13 like it it gets a little rough around the edges and then Nomura right like it's same story with this guy Nomura here he's at this point he's he is like the guy to go to for character design and yeah I agree with you this is where he starts accessorizing all his characters a little bit too much like making sure everyone has as- asymmetrical designs like the main character Titus in this game he's got one leg pant leg that's long one that's short <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and so so at, during Final Fantasy 10 days like Nomura's he's mostly just doing character design uh, for them at least what it looks like from the credits and then from Final Fantasy 10 that's where he starts working on Kingdom Hearts and take, taking a much more larger role so this is where i'd say Character design wise, this is where one of his last games, where he was probably able to give a lot more attention to, and Mm -hmm. before he starts getting stretched real thin too. Yeah, I think it's. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go for it.
0: Yeah, we'll probably we'll get into this later, but the Final Fantasy X is a really interesting case in how. What really evolves and stays true to the roots of the previous Final Fantasy games mm-hmm. while also giving a hint of where the games might go wrong in the future.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. That's a really great point, especially because the way the mechanics worked were very true to the form of the previous games. What you said is so true, especially from the mechanics standpoint. And then they started experimenting right with the setting back to what you called out with the th- Thailand and South P- uh, Pacific influences like these were like I do not see many games call from those cultures. And and that's what mm-hmm. makes Final Fantasy 10 so unique. And they were able to still have this very fantastical um, setting and world building to the game and still play on major themes that they like to play on for all the previous Final Fantasies, um, but still keep it fresh. And to be honest, Final Fantasy X ruined it for me, for all the other Final Fantasy games for me, because for me, I I don't like the medieval European fantasy settings anymore. Right? Like Final I'm Fantasy X. Fan 10, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of them in general. But yeah, yeah. And it's
0: interesting because uh, Katase actually... Was really encouraged the kind of South Pacific aesthetic because he didn't want to go back to a medieval European fantasy kind of setting.
1: Yep, yep. And then just to talk about today, right? Like the Final Fantasy 16 trailer just dropped a couple of days ago. And to be honest, I did not watch most of it because as soon as I saw, it, it was in a medieval European fantasy setting my brain cut off and I was like, I'll just, I'll come back to this at some other time. I'll get, I will give it a chance, but only because I'm obligated to at this point.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a hard thing being, having your favorite uh, genre be uh, Mm -hmm. like JRPGs and not loving medieval European fantasy. Yeah uh there's a lot of those games there's a lot of games out there that don't have that setting unfortunately oh yeah yeah but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah i was disappointed to see that too but at the same time i can see the thinking behind we had this really high high sci-fi setting of mm-hmm. 13 and then this kind of slightly futuristic but modern setting for 15. Yeah. We need to go back to our roots or something like. Yeah. That.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it totally makes sense what they are trying to do at least from the information they've released so far. So, it's just yeah, it's just a little sad for me to not sad. It's just a little bit difficult for me to wrap my head around, but it's definitely something that is deserves attention uh for mm-hmm. sure. When whenever I I muster up the courage to come back to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It probably won't come out for another eight years. So <laughs> Yeah,
1: I have eight years to prepare myself. <laughs> so yeah, something that...
0: Uh, kind of an upshot of having this unique world that really differed from other RPGs is that it created a really strong sense of world building. Mm-hmm. But as a result of this kind of focus on having a really cohesive world... Um, yeah the game ended up more linear than past games in the series, which I was reading some reviews from when it was released. And that was definitely a point of criticism then. And that trend definitely reached its apotheosis in uh, Final Fantasy thirteen, I think, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's just been an example of where it worked really well here, but it did not bode well for future installments in the series
1: yeah for sure this is one of the, you final fantasy 10 for me it just takes you on a ride you just get mm-hmm. in the car and you just go with it and i know you did a episode on persona 5 and you done a couple episodes on persona 5 um and even modern jrpgs like persona 5 do that to you too but then they give you a lot oh, yeah. of options in between. And Final Fantasy X did not do that. That wasn't an idea many JRPG makers were getting used to at the time yet. So yeah, like the criticism came. I do remember trying to compare between Final Fantasy X and 13. And to be honest, I know there's a lot of great there's a lot of great video essays. There's a lot of great content out there describing what made 10 different than 13. To be mm. honest, I think it's just the writing. <laughs> like yeah, ten has well, just a lot better writing than thirteen, and that's why we give a pass on ten for being so linear and not thirteen.
0: Oh yeah, the we did an episode on Lightning Returns, which yeah, mechanically is a game I really like playing. I, I mm-hmm. really like that one. I don't have much patience for the other two games in this yeah. in the trilogy, but yeah, even having played the game, my co-host who had. Started a podcast entirely devoted to the Final Fantasy 13 trilogy. Oh, had to explain. There were multiple times when he had to explain just like what basic concepts were. I played the whole game (laughs) and I had no idea. And like Final Fantasy X, it's got a lot of ambiguity and it's got some kind of pretty abstract concepts, Mm -hmm. but. It leaves you with a little room for debate, but you understand what's going on. You, got, you yeah. get the main, main gist yeah. of it.
1: Yeah, it's very clear. Like it, yeah. The concepts are very clear, and the writers do a great job balancing between mystery versus giving, handing out information. And we'll probably talk about that as we get into this story, for sure. I Man, I, I just realized, as we are talking, for Final Fantasy X-2, they took a similar approach with lightning returns which was oh not lightning returns i'm sorry 13.2 yeah 13.2 like Final fantasy 10.2 opens the world up but then by doing so they made a story that not everyone agrees with i still have stomach aches about that story
0: (laughs) i've never actually played it
1: but (laughs) okay it, it's you just call it out. Lightning returns. You enjoy that game for the gameplay. Ten two mm-hmm. is exactly like that for me too. Like right. I cringe through the story of Ten Two, but I Ten Two I actually one hundred percented before I one hundred percented a Fantasy Ten, and it's because the <laughs> yeah the, the battle system is so much more fun. Oh, yeah. my... <laughs>
0: So let's see. But yeah, as far as just some kind of like technical aspects of the game, Final Fantasy X also like really innovated its use of motion capture.
1: It was mm-hmm.
0: much more sophisticated than had been attempted in a uh, square RPG before. And uh, there was a particular effort placed on matching the physical performances with the additional voice acting that they had added to this game. Yeah, Were you going to say something?
1: I was just going to mention this is where they really added a great layer of rela- realism to the game that you hadn't seen before especially with the f- fully rendered full motion videos that they made which mm-hmm. were absolutely amazing at the time and still hold up really well but the biggest controversy is the uh, lip syncing right and right. the english version of final fantasy 10 gets so much flack for not having the lip sync very well but or what they were trying to do at the time, it was very ambitious, and there is so much dialogue. Like it is an yeah. insane amount of dialogue to translate, and not only that, you have to deal with the nuances of just the complete the fact that Japanese and English are completely different languages. Yeah, they,
0: that that doesn't like the lip syncing on lo- localized games is still not very good in a lot of cases. <laughs> So it seems churlish to uh, uh, complain about. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. It was all over the place. I remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it made at least some really interesting choices. I'll call it out when we get to the, when we start talking about the ending, there's one that really sticks with me and we'll come back to this point.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Let's see. I think the only other thing that I really wanted to mention is given the Additional power of the PS2, even though the many of the environments that you were in uh, remain pre-rendered, they were much more interactive than in the uh, PS1 games. Mm-hmm. And that makes a huge difference. It doesn't feel like you're just walking on, walking through like some poorly rendered diorama or something like yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's not quite the amount of immersion that you get with say like a fully 3d world, but mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And, yeah. Especially uh, at the time. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. yeah. And um, I think, I think one environment that really helps illustrate your point there, because I definitely agree like exactly what you said there at the time it was really visually impressive. So when you, this. The environment that sticks to my mind that really illustrates your point here is um, when you first get to Besaid and you're walking in Besaid and there's a path along the mountains. The background, I think, is completely not pre-rendered. You're walking alongside the mountains. The camera pans around with you as you're walking Mm. through the environment. And then not only that, of course, because it's not pre-rendered, you can now start layering things on top. So you add a lot more visual flair to the environment. So in Bissade you actually walk underneath a waterfall and it's just such a small little yeah. detail. But it really adds to the character of the game and it, it's it was worth the extra time and processing power for them to figure it out. I think they were using what they called the white engine at the time, which was retired after Final Fantasy thirteen. But I'm sure there are a bunch of engineers banging their heads on their desk trying to make that one waterfall work and oh, God, yeah. i think it really paid off
0: <laughs> yeah probably yeah many hours put into that mm-hmm. many long nights oh yeah <laughs> yeah and just uh, finally uh, so final fantasy 10 marks the first time that uh the regular series composer uh, nobuo uh, Nobu Nobu uh, Umatsu, yes. Series composer uh, Nobu Umatsu had any Mm -hmm. assistance in composing the score for a game in the main series. His uh, fellow composers for uh, Final Fantasy X were Masashi Hamazu Hamauzu.
1: Hamauzu, yeah. Yeah,
0: you said it right. Mm -hmm. Mahashi Hamauzu and uh, Junya Nakano.
1: Yep, there. You I think you got it. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And di- yeah, and yeah. At this, yeah. At this point, like Uematsu has a huge track record with amazing soundtracks. Ten is definitely my favorite because it's the one. It's the one that ties together the game and and the music together. This is a score that I listen to this day. Like I have all. I have all those extra cds and extra recordings they do like i had the piano collections version i used to listen to that all the time i i had a i played piano for a while so i would play some of these songs myself this is an amazing soundtrack that really understands one its characters the major themes and really helps nudge where it needs to and helps accentuate when it needs to and i'd say after you know how. I don't know if this is his 10th score, but this is around there uh, probably. But this is really showcasing Uematsu's ability to really help make something a greater than it, the sum of its parts here. Um oh, really yeah. helped tie Yeah,
0: Absolutely, yeah. Like- yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think you put it really well.
1: All right. How about we talk about some of the mechanics then? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome, awesome. So like we talked about, like Final Fantasy X definitely is one of, the last games where they tried to stick to the formula as much as they could and then still introduce some new stuff. This is where we get into the conditional turn-based system. This is probably one thing that makes it hard for people to get into these older games. But in the previous games, we had the ATB system, right? The active time battle system where it was still turn-based as many JRPGs go. But ATB really helped speed up the pace really introduce a sense of urgency and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden final fantasy X comes in and says no you can take your time with all your turns which is a new concept but it works out really well here i should have called i should have mentioned this to you earlier so my last playthrough i because so my last playthrough of this game i was live streaming it so i didn't want to grind on the stream for the sake of boring everyone so I actually played through the game without grinding. And so it was really tough. Like these, this is where the CTB, the conditional turn beast battle system, really shines because you have to be very careful about what choices you make every single turn because one wrong turn can have disastrous effects later down the line. So when you're underpowered, you have to make every single choice count. And and that's not even... The, I didn't even experience the full extent of it because you've got people who play like no sphere grid and they'll play like a level one wow. game yeah. or they'll speed run the game and beat the game in eight hours. Like they, you should like definitely if anyone has the time to take a look into how they play and how they manipulate the conditional turn-based system to make this work.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, that's like a... Sounds like those, like, uh, soul level one, uh, dark souls
1: players. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I didn't even, of course, that's the thing. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. thing. Of course, that's um, a thing. And oh my God, that's, oh that's, gosh. I, I'm, I'm, I'm
0: more, I'm more impressed by the people who can beat it can beat souls using like the, like beat mania, like oh, tables like, yeah. and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's I, always I, a lot more impressive than uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I did just
1: run out. into someone. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I did just run into someone playing Kingdom Hearts on a dance pad, so that was pretty <laughs> impressive too. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that the CTB system kind of adds is, like you were saying, it's almost like a sense of strategy mm-hmm. that you've really got to consider what moves you're taking and how that's going to affect your later abilities or later capabilities in the battle.
1: Yep. Yep. It's like a, it's just like playing chess. You just have to, you build and then you execute. And so uh, it's the same thing. A lot of bass, a lot of boss battles, you have to be very careful and methodical. Usually it, If you're not – if you don't know exactly what you're doing, it usually takes you to die first and figure out what the strategy is, and then you'll be okay once you go in the second time around.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But sometimes – yeah, sometimes you just have to – yeah, or, yeah, fail. or you can just grind. Fail and and, fail yeah. You can always yeah.
1: grind, too. You can yeah. always grind, yeah. You can always grind and then get, like, the level three black magic spells, like, before, within, before even, like, a third of the game, to a story of the game, and just blow everything up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I think what also makes the... What helps accentuate the CTP's strengths is... The ability you can only control three characters at a time which most of the final fantasies they stick to that kind of formula but this is where you can swap characters on the fly there's a lot of strategy where you know you flip characters in and out you tag them in tag them out during certain turns like an enemy is about to hit you really hard and so you're like i need this person to stay alive but i need to save a turn for particular things so you swap them out a lot of times for example. Orin, he's a great tank, right? So sometimes you just throw in Orin just to take damage and you throw him back Mm -hmm. out when you don't need him. And each character, of course, has their unique um, ability. And in this game, Overdrives is what they're calling them on Final Fantasy VII, and and they're called Limit Breaks. So very similar system here, Overdrives. And every character has their unique Overdrive that's tied to, I I do appreciate this part, part where, the overdrive is actually tied to their personality and their story, and they do special things. And many of them are useful, some are not, and they all become useless at the end game, except for wakkas at the end. In the right. end game, yeah, totally. Yeah, and then the summoning system's completely different here too, right? Mm-hmm. Before in previous Final Fantasies, summoning was like used as a turn. It was used as if you have enough mana or you have enough MP, you can use this as a last resort depending on the situation or you, or you can just call summoning every single time. But here you have to be a lot more strategic because what happens is with the whole CTB system, you have... Okay, actually, let me take a step back here. So... When I talk about characters in a previous point, having unique abilities, you only have one summoner, one person who can summon the actual summons. And then the summons, when you call upon them, they'll completely replace your characters and they'll fight in the party's place. So that's very unique to the game you can you can use these summons as separate characters to tank damage to deal damage and you can use them very strategically as well and they all have their own unique individual characteristics and overdrives as well and of course the, the coolest things to watch in battle oh yeah they're so cool yeah yeah and they're very long <laughs> they, they are long yeah oh, God. yeah the sphere grid is how we level up in Final Fantasy X. You still have, it, it's very different, right? So it's usually in a lot of RPGs, every battle you're in, you, le- you gain experience and you hit certain thresholds and you level up and you er- earn different skills. Here, Final Fantasy X introduced the sphere grid, which was you gain experience that gave you levels and then you spend those levels to gain abilities or grow in status points. So it was very, in the beginning of the game, it's laid out very linearly, right? You can, if you grind things out, you can go ahead and increase your strength by plus two. You can increase your defense, specials, speed, all those kinds of things. And you can do them, you grow those very individually, but it's also laid out very linearly as well. And so it doesn't really branch out until maybe around the mid game where the paths of the sphere grid start opening up and you can start start you know customizing your characters a bit more to your liking but it is still like it's at first when you try to get into it it's a little bit confusing but once you get the hang of it you find out this is just like a regular leveling system like any other system that's out today
0: yeah yeah it's it's amazing because it was pretty major innovation for the time, and now you see it—you see something similar to it in even like triple A action games, as far as just like this: how are you going to really develop your character, and what abilities you want to build up, and what sacrifices are you making by choosing to make your character more physically strong mm-hmm. rather than a healer or whatnot, but. Yeah. Um, It's definitely, it's something that I feel like Final Fantasy X doesn't get as much credit for how ubiquitous it is, not only in JRPGs nowadays, but also in, like I said, those AAA action games.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point you just made there, especially with the fact that you have the ability to completely customize your characters once you hit a certain point. There are many times where, One of the characters who is foundationally a white mage, many times I would, during my playthroughs, I would actually sack, I would forego the traditional white mage path so I can have her more as a damage dealer. So I'll take her down the black mage path. And then I had to make those choices and balance out, okay, then I'm not going to have these particular white mage skills anymore. So Mm -hmm. how am I going to compensate for that? And so you're right, like the choices at the time, these aren't choices that, I feel like we made in many other games. Final Fantasy X did introduce this concept where not only do you have to, not only do you have this choice of how, uh, not only do you have the choice in how your characters grow, but also you have to make different choices on how to adapt to the choices that you made. Like some of these choices are a little bit irreversible in the sense of you can't get back to it, you can't change it until near the end game. So how are you going to live with that until you get to that point?
0: yeah yeah and it ma- makes you really think about what kind of party you're you want to build out and uh mm-hmm. but it, it, the freedom that it affords you as far as being able to take a character that is classed a certain way and then basically turn them into almost anything you want them to be is pretty great
1: yeah 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 and it, it really gets really fun closer to the end game for sure What's not fun in the end game? It's uh, ugh, blitzball. Um, no. <laughs> I like. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of this mini game. So, okay. Some context here, right? Blitzball is the major mini game of Final Fantasy X, and in many Final Fantasies. They do introduce some sort of mini game that they want to tie the game to so you can have something to do and break up some of the pacing there. Blitzball is like underwater rugby. That's how a lot of people would describe it. It is semi-turn based and it is very automated. And so the automation really ruins the game for me. And to be honest, What makes it very frustrating is Blitzball, the way it's introduced into the game, you are the underdog, you have horrible stats, they pin you up against the best team with the best stats, and they just demolish you and they make you feel bad. And not only that, like the one of the only ways to really win is to, if I'm sure there's like legitimate ways to win, but the issue I always come across is because of the automation, I never reach the conditions to win legitimately. So I just take advantage of the glitches in the game and just try right. to win out the clock.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, ultimately it's just a crappier version of the existing battle system. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That's a good way to put it more frustrating, but yeah. Yeah. I like the I like how it tied into the narrative it is. I'll give it that.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. For sure. And it's a big part of the world building, it's a big part of one of the major characters, it's a big part of his life. It was a part of major part of two people's lives, which I'm sure we'll get to in just a moment here. But it is well integrated into the story and it's just unfortunate that it sucks. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I know there's people that love it and power to them, like that they were able to find the good things in the game and they thoroughly enjoy it. And they'll spend a hour, hundred hours legitimately getting that Jupiter's crest. But, and of course, these people are very much the people who will bring happiness in my life too, because they're so optimistic. <laughs> yeah, power to them, seriously. But yeah, no, I'll stay away for now.
0: <laughs> yeah, no hate on people Wait. If you can find your fun and exactly a wholesome way, then good for you. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's go through the main characters. Most probably, notably, though you may disagree with that, is Titus. He's the main male protagonist. He's mm-hmm. a rising blitzball player who is, spent to, sent, who is sent to Spira following the destruction of his hometown. Seemingly no way of knowing what happened to him, he becomes a guardian to Yuna on her, per, per, pil, on her pilgrimage to learn about the conflict he's been dragged into.
1: How did you... We should probably talk about this because it's a major discussion within the uh, Final Fantasy community. Is it Tidus or Titus in your head?
0: In my head, it's Titus, but you said Titus, so I decided yeah. to. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I know, in my head, it's always been Titus. It's appropriate, like I so many people have made this argument, and I fully agree. Titus being of the tides, it's a water based oh, game, yeah. of course, it's like appropriately Titus, but no Kingdom Hearts in Japanese, it's spelled Cheetus. uh, and so they with Kingdom Hearts when they localized it that's the first time anyone spoke his name for the first time in English, so we got stuck. With The name Tetis, and because of a separate game, <laughs> which is uh ironic in a way. And but, uh, name be- besides the name, you can name them anything you want, and it's great that the game designers did a great job, although it's a little bit wonky. Um, the game designers did a great job letting you still pick the name of the character so you can be named anything. If you watch like the completionist on YouTube, I think he named his Titus Meg Ryan, <laughs> which was hilarious. <laughs> um, the but you can name him everything, and with the voice acting, they do their best to accommodate for the fact that his name could be anything. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little cheesy. Sometimes they do it pretty well, but really, Titus is the conduit for you, the player, right? Like he's the conduit that. Helps us latch into the world of Spira, and he's he's be, as he's being introduced to the world of Spira. So are us, and that's what I think yeah. is really great about the character of Titus. We'll get into his own particular character character growth as well, but I think that's what helps ground us into the story and helps invest us into the story so much is because we learn as Titus learns.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's it's always a tough. It's it's a tough. He's such a figure of mystery, and it's we'll get into it. But his backstory is so core to the entire story of the game. But as at, at the same time, like you want him to be a player in.
1: So it's yeah.
0: They they walk a fine line, I think.
1: Yeah. I think they do a good job. Yeah. 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 And the next character we should definitely talk about is Yuna, who Mm -hmm. is the main female protagonist. And I know you alluded to this. So I have this theory that I've not really heard anyone else talk about. And please point me to anyone else that's talked about it this way. And I really think that Yuna is actually the true protagonist of the game. And so she's she is the summoner we talked about. Her whole story is she's on a pilgrimage to defeat the main antagonist, or at least seemingly who the main antagonist seems to be in the beginning of the game, along with her guardians, which is really made up of the party members. She is, my whole mind is, and if you play this game multiple times, you see it. Like with any story, really, a story is built around how the main protagonist makes particular choices and and goes on the journey of growth and comes out on the other end, whether that's good or bad. And so really, when you think about the choices that are made by the team members in the game, most of them are actually Eunice' choices, even though she's definitely a very quiet and passive character. She's the one driving ma- the major decisions that the characters go through. And, and we'll get into that as we go into more detail here. And not only that, I also have a th- have a little bit of a theory that the main antagonist is also not who you think it is usually and and it's because of Yuna's confrontations with this antagonist that really kicked the story into action and that's why I really think the story is really Yuna's story instead of Tidus' story. Even though Tidus cries, this is my story, this is my story, all game <laughs> long.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that, I don't know, we don't want to get into it. I don't know if we want to get into it quite yet because mm-hmm. we're just int- introducing the characters. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's a lot to be said to your argument, and I'll leave it there for now.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So we can move sure. on. So you've got Oron is... Oran, uh, a mysterious man who watches out for uh, Titus and Yuna. He's been hailed as a legendary guardian due to his accompaniment of uh, Lord Braska on his pilgrimage 10 years ago. However, he's got a pretty cynical nature, which may hide the truth of uh, what he witnessed during that pilgrimage.
1: Yep. Yep. He's everyone's favorite character. (laughs) Uh, from this game, he's a total badass. Fun fact I've come across: the original game was supposed to focus on Orin Braska and what we, the character that has become titus's father, Jack. But they decided to change the story. Tidus was no longer Tidus. Um Tidus became Jack, and then Tidus became the Tidus we know today. Um, which I'm very happy about the decisions they made there. But Oren was always like the major character that was always going to be there from the beginning. So that's why he's such a badass, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oren's a badass. That's a high contrast. I don't know. A lot of people might disagree with me with Kimari. So Kimari is, he's a Ransa, which is a race of cat slash lion people. I don't know. They're they're furries, I guess. Yeah.
0: There's always gotta be one.
1: Yeah. So he's silent. His character growth is very subtle. I do appreciate him for the character growth he goes through, but it's Final Fantasy X has such a strong cast of characters, like Kimari does take a backseat here. And not only that, mechanics-wise too, gameplay-wise, he's the red mage. So he's the one that you can customize however the way you want. And to be honest, the wishy-washiness of his character growth in the story translated into the wishy-washiness of his sphere grid on how you level him, level him up too. So All I right. think maybe that's why I don't really like him, but he's very diligent. He's very honor-driven. He's a nice guy to have around. What more <laughs> can you ask for? It's really great. Like You learn about his backstory a little bit, and it's really cool that there's a backstory with Oren and Kamari, but it's very downplayed.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's just a classic, good yet righteous character.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's say if Cloud wasn't very t- as talkative, if Cloud wasn't as snarky as he was, he'd be Kimari. That's, that's how I think
0: about <laughs> it. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then you've got Waka. He's another uh, fan favorite. He's one of Yuna's childhood friends from uh, Basad, as captain of the <laughs> infamously pathetic oh. Basad. Iraq's blitzball team he's resolved to retire from the sport and join Yuna on her pilgrimage and yeah he is just he's all personality (laughs) like (laughs) yeah very Um, gregarious joking outgoing
1: yeah he's the so ever since you meet him he's the character like the comic relief up until you get your entire party he he has those subtle moments to help make you do a little half grin once in a while. But he more importantly, he's like the big brother, right? He's the yeah. goofy big brother. He's there to be dependable, but still be able to line the mood. And he out of all the side characters, I actually think he has the most character growth. Besides of course the main and the main party characters uh, of ah I'm sorry, not main party characters besides Yuna and titus, right like he's the one of the side characters that have the most character growth, which is and he talks oh yeah. my god, like I just realized talks about major themes that still are being discussed in today's day and age in twenty twenty yeah, we'll probably get into that,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd say that it's pretty much it's Titus, Yuna, and Tim are like the the core of the game as far as like protagonists.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of the uh, like Titus. I, I definitely agree. There's a lot of interaction between Titus and Waka. That's I think that's where a lot of that relation. Waka is definitely one of the first people that Titus meets, one of them at least, and so they grow a huge bond and a lot of. The themes that play out in the games uh, are illustrated by the converse- conversations and arguments between Titus and Waka. And yeah, we'll get into that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's Lulu, uh, who's also one of Yuna's childhood friends from Besaid. She is. A lot of people's favorites because of her character design, of, of course. Yeah, <laughs> you ever seen her? She has an interesting backstory too. She's, of course, the dependable one, the knowledgeable one. She's the one that's got her shit together. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I allowed to? Oh
0: no, you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: like she has her stuff together, but she's also a bit nitpicky. You know, she'll she's she'll speak her mind. My last playthrough, I definitely appreciated her as a character much more, and she's the big sister, right? Like it's essentially. The trio is Yuna as a, she's very young when they first meet Waka's the older brother lose the older sister and then there's Kimari oddly just watching everyone from the back but yeah it, it's the three of them and uh, they're it's not talked about so much but w- the moments where you really see the brother and sisterhood of the three those are some of the greatest moments in the game and I'll try to call those out when we talk about the story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. So there's uh, Riku,
0: who's a spunky owl bed girl and is the first person Titus encounters upon arriving in Spira. She's considered a heathen among the majority of Spira's population, but she only really wants to protect Yuna, even though her approach to doing so sometimes conflicts with the goals of the rest of the party.
1: So yeah like Riku's an albed and so she is a lot of people's favorite waifu in the game. <laughs> um and yeah the, the whole heathen thing about Spira and her being outcast by the Spira population becomes a huge major theme of the game and I'm sure we'll get into that too. But she's definitely everyone's favorite. She pretty much walks around Spira naked in the second game <laughs> and she's the poster child of a lot of Oh boy, a lot of discussion online uh, when it comes to like how people, how certain groups of people are depicted online. It's it's definitely like one of the poster childs for that, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, man, the yeah. discourse. Yeah, we probably won't get into that there. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> yeah, uh, There's plenty out there. Yeah. Who's not talked about enough <laughs> is uh, our next oh, character. Yeah, Seymour, my You're boy Seymour. Bo- yeah. yeah, he's um so he is definitely a major character. I would argue he is the major antagonist that the writers did dirty. Like he should have been he is a major antagonist, but he's not the de facto last person you fight and I'd argue that he the story should have been adjusted so that he's the last fight. There's a little bit of romanticism about him not being the last fight. Because this is a Final Fantasy, right? You can't have a fight where you gotta fight the big baddie in the Final Fantasy game at the end. We'll talk about his character. Like, I think not enough people no, I shouldn't say it this way. Like, I think that he doesn't get as much credit as a good well written antagonist, but there's a lot that is there between his relationship with Yuna where that makes him a really great antagonist and, and we'll probably get into that too yeah
0: definitely definitely let's let's get on to the story basically uh the game begins with uh titus uh waiting with his allies outside the ruins of an ancient city he's narrating the events that pretty much led to the present which span most of the game's storyline so you get a little immediate res open
1: yeah yeah and this scene is really masterfully done now like i didn't Every time when I watched this when I was younger, I didn't think much of it. As it did set the mood a lot, so it does a great job setting the mood. But s- from a storytelling standpoint, it does an excellent job. Now that I think about it a little bit more critically, right? It it establishes so many questions in the player's head, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a very serene, kind of quiet scene. The famous Tuzanerkin song is playing on the piano. People downtrodden people if we had the textures and the technology back then they'll probably be scuffed up in dirt and stuff you know everyone's sitting about a fire there are somber looks all around and really and then you look at the ancient city you look at the ruins and it really sets up so many questions for the player right if you're a player watching this you wonder whether you're conscious of it or not like who's this ragtag group of people? When am I going to actually meet them? What is wrong with the city? What happened to the city? Mm -hmm. Um, And then why is this guy saying, listen to my story, this may be our last chance. Like, why is this the last chance? What did you do? If this was your first Final Fantasy, (laughs) inadvertently you might be thinking, oh, did he fail nine times before this? (laughs) Or something like that. But just does a great job of being a very calm, serene scene. By setting the mood in a very calm way, but like making the player frantically think like, what the heck is going on here? And I think it does a really good job of establishing and keeping the player interested in the game right when you start off.
0: Yeah, it's very, it's very algeic too. It just mm-hmm. really just sets the mood incredibly well. Yeah. And basically, uh, once you get this little kind of prologue, you start out in Titus's home city, which is the high-tech metropolis of Xanarkand. Uh, is that right? right pronunciation?
1: Uh, Zanarkand, yeah. The high-tech metropolis
0: of Xanarkand, yeah. where he's a renowned blitzball player and the son of a famous blitzball star, Jekt. Jekt.
1: Yeah, yeah, the J is definitely pronounced here. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: during a Blitzball tournament, the city's attacked by an immense creature that Oran, a man not originally from Xanarchand, uh, calls Sin. Sin basically destroys Xanarchand and takes Titus and Oran to the world of Spyra.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, just a fun series of events you get to see the amazing blitzball scene that's full motion video now, of course it's a huge wow moment for everyone who's like playing a game at that time back in what, what was it 1999 or something i forgot when it actually came out yeah it's a huge moment and it this this set of events really helps does some more great mood building you're in the scene you're running away from the city It's very fun to play through. Story wise, there's not too much. Introduces Oren, and introduces, of course, Titus and how cocky he can be sometimes. Introduces Jack and the relationship Titus has with Jack. That you just get a glimpse of how much Jack, how much Titus hates Jack, and but which ironically Titus is following in his footsteps. There's some weird relationship going on there that gets introduced here and. When Sin finally destroys Xanarkin, that really kicks the plot itself. At least gets the plot, you know, started. Yeah. Um, and and Titus starts good, exploring the world of Spira. Yeah. And then so, yeah, when they get to Spira, Titus ends up in Spira. And as a player, you, along with Titus, are wondering where the heck are you? Where What's going to happen? I have no resources. I got to figure out what's going to happen. And- it's one of the most baffling
0: openings, I don't know, hours of gameplay. I would say. Yeah. That, yeah. At least it-, it comes to mind.
1: Yeah. It's pretty fun because it, you, they do a really great job making sure that you feel as lost as Tidus, um, yeah. whether that's a good thing or not. And so, yeah, they start throwing things at you. So th- then, like Tidus is rescued by Outbed Salvagers, which includes Riku. And the design of the game is they introduce a language that nobody in the world understands, and you get you start. They pace things out for you, so it's okay. You're in this new world. Okay, this is how you fight. This is here's a new kind of people you have to start interacting with. So they pace it out pretty well, and then yeah. So Tidus and Riku start. They start conversing now that because Riku reveals that she can speak English, and this is where also actually some of the first times that the voice acting gets comes in and does a huge part for the immersiveness of the story because Tara Strong, who voices the voice of Riku, she does a great job of introducing the character of Riku and making sure the interactions between Riku and Titus are one, like very jovial because that's Riku's character, but two helping Titus kind of process through like, you, dude, you just traveled a thousand years like sin destroys anarchy a thousand years ago which was where you used to be you got transported to the future mm-hmm. um and then he gets attacked they get attacked by sin again and then they separate as soon as you meet tara strong you get separated <laughs> from her yeah uh, and then yeah yeah and then that's when you meet waka and like i said earlier waka is definitely one of the older relationships in the game between the you and the main character and walk and the party members and he's the captain of a local Blitzball team. And he's there to really strut his stuff in Blitzball.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's, he comes off real cocky at first. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, Waka takes uh, Titus about around his uh, village and uh, introduces him to uh, Yuna, who's uh, a young summoner about to go on a pilgrimage to obtain the final Aeon and defeat Sin with her guardians, Lulu who's a mage of black magic, and uh, Kim Hari, who's a member of the Ronso tribe.
1: Yep. Yeah, These, this is a great string of events that happen here for sure. So one of the major themes that kind of come into play is this whole notion that Tidas, as an outsider to this world, just like questions everything. And then you meet Yuna, who actually doesn't question anything, or not much, at least for when it comes to the things that happen in the game, and so when Waka and Titus get intro- when Titus gets introduced to Yuna, it's through a series of events where Waka is not really supposed to uh so the series of events is is preparing for the pilgrimage by performing a ceremony, which gives her first aeon, her first summoning so that she becomes, it's the start of her journey. She, The journey is she's supposed to collect all the aeons from all of the temples of Yevon, which is the religion of the world. And in in her quest to get the final aeon, she has to follow the rules of Yevon. And only once she completes the pilgrimage as established by the rules of this religion um, is she done with her pilgrimage, essentially? The way you're introduced to Yuna is she's stuck in this temple um, because she's spending a little bit too long in the ceremony. And then no one else is allowed to go and join her. But Titus is, well, someone's in trouble. Someone's got to go in there and walk us. No, you can't break the rules. And Titus is, no, forget the rules. Why do we have to follow the rules? So this sets this whole series of characterizations in motion where one Waka, who I forgot to mention earlier, but Waka, who's so steadfast in the rules, who's lived his whole life following the rules and has, of course, later down the line, which we learn like major motivations as to why he follows the rules, and then who is you know, following the rules because she has a particular mission she wants to achieve. And then all of a sudden you throw in titus right? And he's questioning everything. And you, as a player, you're new to the world. He's new to the world. So it's natural that you question everything. What makes this set, this trio of characters work so well together is you have this, these characters that are on two ends of this, who are on two ends of the spectrum and they start, trying, they have this huge gap between them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Titus is trying to understand this world, where Yuna knows the world, but yeah. Titus just cannot understand why the world is what it is. And you learn about it, and you still, and what's great about Titus's character is that you, that he still doesn't believe in what the world really means. And yeah, that's, I'm sure I'll bring it up in multiple areas where this happens, but yeah, it starts... At the moment that he meets Tidus, the the seed is planted that maybe what she's doing isn't the right thing at all. That really kicks the story into gear. Yeah, yeah.
0: And they're basically planning to travel across Spira to gather Aeons. And Mm -hmm. yeah, their goal ultimately is to defend against Just these recurring attacks by Sin and uh, its offspring, which are called uh, Sin Spawn.
1: Yep. Yeah, and the Sin Spawn come in at very convenient moments when the story gets a little bit slower, and so you need a little action there. But one thing is, oh, I probably should have called this out in the beginning. This game definitely deserves multiple playthroughs, and that's why I enjoy this game so much. Mm -hmm. It is very deceptively... They're, like there's so much stuff hidden in the background, and you only see it unless when you know the story. As Tia agrees to help walk in the tournament, and not only that, he helps to he helps to join in her pilgrimage up until the point of the Blitzball tournament. There's scenes where Yuna is saying goodbye to the island of Besaid, and there's one particular scene where Yuna is staring off to the village in the they're sitting on top of the mountains she stares down and she's a hundred feet away from the village. This is her last good look at the village before she has to leave. And Titus is guys, let's get a move on while we waiting. What are we waiting here for? And then just wants to look at the city. And now as I'm older now, and now I know what's going on. Like it chokes me up. Like my last playthrough, I almost cried that yeah. one simple scene. And it's because Yuna is really saying goodbye to where she grew up. And and the scene when you watch it again after you know about Yuna's secret, it really makes you hate Titus, but it's understandable like why he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty yeah, clueless, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but also like you appreciate much more like we've all had those moments where we get one last good look at something, uh, maybe not because we're having like a huge existential crisis. Of because we're not saying goodbye because of that. Maybe there's like a home we left that we know we're probably not going to see again. You can just see that in Yuna. And, and I think the writing and the director did a great job showing that. But you only see that if you play it a second time. All right. So now the team is traveling. We get a lot of little scenes where we learn a little bit more about the characters. We learn about Waka and Lulu. They had a, their whole relationship with... Chapu, who is Waka's brother, and Lulu was supposed to be married to Chapu. And so we learn about a little backstory on them, a little bit of pain that they have to go through. We also learn that Jekt, Tidus's father, was actually alive and well in Spira for a while, and that Yuna knew him very well and actually remembers him fondly, which blows Tidus out of his mind. And we get lots of nice little scenes as they go. We get attacked by sin spawn here and there. We see the world. We see Spira and it, Spira is definitely a world of death and we get this understanding about how Yuna is this conduit of death, right? Like she there's the religion of Yevon and everything around Yevon seems to revolve around death and the whole theme of death is also accentuated by the fact that sin comes and destroys villages and mows down villages. And so we there's a lot of great world building here happening. And we get to see more Aeons. We get to see, uh, yeah, I think we get to see Ifrit here where it goes to our second temple. And then finally, a few other things happen. But just to skip a few beats here, they finally make it to the Blitzball Tournament. And this is where Seymour is first introduced. You see, first see him, at least visually, you meet him. You meet Maester Micah, who's like essentially the prime minister of the entire world here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also get introduced to a little bit of the Albed racism that was alluded to earlier and, and about how everything in Luca is all about how Blitzball is the, Hope of a hope of this world because it keeps people happy, and every once in a while, sin destroys and mows down towns and stuff. It's very Hunger Games, you know. And, <laughs> but
0: but uh, yeah, it's sad if Blitzball is the only thing that is. Yeah, certain.
1: yeah, and it sucks because it's such a crappy game, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we also see is, of course, you see the Blitzball game with. With Waka and Titus, they play the Albed Sykes first, and, and there's a little bit of a uh, tangent, you know, side quest. It's not really side quest, you, you have to play it, but there's a little tangent quest where it gets captured by the Albed, which alludes to something that happens later down the line. Is totally capable of saving herself, but of course, the guys and Lulu included play the damsel in distress. Card and they try to make sure she's safe. Of course, as their responsibilities of guardians, it can hold her own. So, you know, you you go through this little out fighting the out, out bed, learning about how machines are weak to lightning and all these small little things. Then you play the worst blitzball match in the world, which is against <laughs> the, the luka Goers. See, it's, it's a it's the Besaid Aurochs versus luka Goers. In the middle of the match, you. Just all of a sudden, you have to swap out Tidus for Waka, and all this fun stuff happens, and hopefully you win if you cheat the game, or if you're a better player than me, you can win, or you lose. And then, regardless, the match ends, and then you end up the, tur- the stadium in which the tournament is actually... Being played at is attacked by all these monsters. In this world, they're called fiends appropriately. Um, and then you see our man, our badass RN finally come and join the party. And then we also see Seymour. He comes through. Seymour, you learn, is a summoner, just like Yuna. And he comes in and he flexes, and then he summons the, you know, the most badass Aeon in the world. And then you full motion video, everything, and just destroying everything in one shot. And amazing cutscenes there. At this point, it's just action, action. And finally, mm-hmm. Orin comes. You, Orin and Titus finally meet back up since the beginning of the game. Titus, of course, had thought that his da- dad had died ten years earlier. And then finally, oren reveals, drops his bombshell. He's no, your father. He says it really weird in the English version. He says, "Sin is jacked." <laughs> All right. It, or is it sin is j- yeah he says sin is jacked
2: yeah or yeah.
1: would it be to sin i don't know remember I, I just remember it being like weird the way he said it but he, he really he reveals that for some reason titus's father is this giant whale monster thing that's leveling down entire villages and then Orin just crypt- cryptically says you just gotta figure this out but yeah d- I'll, I'll take a pause here because we got we have to talk about the next scene right after this. <laughs> <laughs> so now, almost immediately afterwards, right the the blitzball tournament ends. Everyone's been attacked. Everyone's like kind of catching their breath, and now Titus has just learned. Titus and you, as a player, has just learned that the big bad monster is apparently your father. Orin says he's going to join Yuna and ask Yuna to join her party, her group of guardians. And of course, th- there's the conversation about Orin joining Yuna's party, Yuna accepts, and there's a nice little side thing that happens where Oren asks immediately asks Lulu, hey, what's our agenda right now? Because L- Lulu apparently is the only one that has her shit together in this group. Uh-huh. But now here we are at the most infamous scene in the game, which is the laugh, the fake laugh scene. Uh, Everyone, so many people hate it. If you listen to the Japanese version, it's even cringier, but I'm going to go ahead and say something that's very not popular (laughs) and say, this is actually my absolute favorite scene in this entire game. Take a moment
0: to. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You got to back that up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, Here's the thing. This scene, everyone knows that, okay, any, anyone that's not 13, you know, right? Like anyone that's above an adolescent, right? Like they know that the laugh was a forced laugh. It was cringy. James Arnold Taylor has defended himself. The voice actor for Titus has defended himself over and over again. I don't even know why he gets so much flack for the scene. Clearly the laugh was supposed to be fake. It was supposed to incite laughter. And so everyone talks about that and, and people appreciate, there's still people that appreciate the scene just fine and uh, under that context. But for me, what adds so much more meaning to the scene is if you think about it, Titus is really just a conduit for us as players to understand the journey. But when you think about story structure and how narrative has actually progressed, right? The main the role of the main protagonist is to make choices to progress the story and when if you look at titus as a character you actually don't see titus making any firm choices that progress the plot if you actually but if you look next to him there's Yuna. and the entire plot is actually centered around her and the choices that she makes right if you take yeah if you take a step back and when titus and Yuna first meet if you start Mapping Titus's choices and actions, he actually bases everything based on Yuna's decisions that she wants to make. so I'm not going to get too much into it, but it's you, you just have to take a step back and if you want to nerd out like I did, just map what exactly is happening with all of Titus's choices there. So if you think about it from the perspective of this story where Titus says in the beginning, Listen to my story. This may be our last chance. It's like the biggest lie. It's like the biggest deception of the game. And even I don't know if it's meant to be a deception or not. I firmly believe like this story, the story of Final Fantasy X is purely as the main protagonist. Yuna is the main protagonist. And of course, you have all these other characters in the party who are considered main characters, but when it comes to the central protagonist, it's definitely Yuna. So if you kind of look from her perspective, this scene, right? Get into Yuna's mind here. Um, and just, and now I'm finally at the point of why I appreciate this scene so much. Has just been attacked by Albed. She has also just been sh- uh, shown up by Seymour. Think about how she feels. Like Seymour is so powerful and She's, I'm supposed to be that strong? How the hell am I ever supposed to beat Sin? When am I ever going to get that strong? Then there's right. Oren, who was her father's guardian. He pops out of nowhere, and he's, I want to be your guardian. And she's, oh, of course, you have to be my guardian. But at the same time, she's probably thinking, knowing Yuna's character, like, oh, am I even worthy of this kind of honor? Right. And not only that, there's Titus. Moping around being a, a 13-year-old child, like he's just moping <laughs> and she's like, Well, now my entire party is messed up. I can't have this happen. So she's one, down in the dumps herself, and two, her, she, Yuna, as the as the figure, you know, head figure of this party, she has to do something. So she has to go to Tetis and she has to make sure that her guardians are up to snuff you know she has to really step it up as a servant leader here and make sure that her party is gonna be optimistic enough to handle these things and uh, as a second objective she needs to also make sure that she tells herself that she can do this she's on a death march yeah like she's on a death march right now and if she can't convince other people that this is the right thing to do there's no way in hell she can convince herself that this is the right thing to do. Yeah, and so that's why the scene is so... I know I might be grasping straws here a little bit, and I'm stretching things a little bit, but when I watch the scene over and over again, knowing what I know of the story and understanding Yuna's character a little bit more than I used to know from my original playthroughs, like this scene is really about... It's not about Yuna cheering Tidus up. And inciting this fake laugh. It's all about Yuna cheering herself up to make sure that she can build the strength to move forward on this death march that she so strongly believes in. Right. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. And would you say, conversely, that Titus is, I don't know, trying his best to reassure her about that? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, with the whole... Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's a good point because he does the whistle thing back in the boat a couple of scenes ago. Mm. And then she even pulls that card. She's, hey, oh, I'm glad you I I'm glad you po- called that out because I completely forgot about it until now. Titus had taught her the, the little whistle. He's, anytime you're lost, anytime we get separated, whistle, and then I'll come find you. And then she just reverses the cards on him and be like, hey, if you're lost... I'll you know just whistle and I'll come running for you. There's that. There's that little bit of on one hand on the surface you see she's falling for him awkwardly, but also as a serv you know as a servant leader who needs to run this ragtag te- you know group of people with wa- a bonehead like Waka and someone that doesn't talk like Kamari. Like she needs to step it up and and, and make everyone feel better. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really that's a really interesting reading.
1: <laughs> it might be a bit of a stretch, but that's why, like like you said, I had to defend myself as to why this is my favorite scene. <laughs> it's no, I think it adds up. <laughs> okay, Honestly. I'm glad you think so. We'll yeah. see what happens when uh, people listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. So that kind of so that kind of really ends this. So I like to call everything up. What we talked about up until now, like the end of the first act, right? Act one is, Mm -hmm. there wasn't like a major central theme to this act. It was just world building. Introduce the characters, introduce this world of Spira, this world of death, introduce the main baddies. Like even Seymour's been introduced at this point. Introduce most of the party members. Riku is still jumping around in the water, but everyone's, pretty much everyone's here now. And And the reason, so I think what the writers did, they did really was just introduce and build a world here, as up until this point, very well. You even introduced Blitzball, and unfortunately, but there's this is getting to here at this point where you start going to through Meehan High Road. The story actually now structures itself around particular themes, and they're very. I know like anyone can make up any kind of theme for any kind of set of scenes, but for me, the neck what this delineates right here is Act Two from Mehan High Road all the way to Mushroom Rock Road. This is the second act. And the whole theme of the second act of Mehan High Road is: hey, now during Act One, we just introduced all the entire world to you. Act two is all about what happens when you defy the world order? Okay. Like I introduced yeah. a w- world order to you. What happens when you defy me now? Um, yeah. And that's all of act two. And, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
0: you've, it's, it does a masterful job of establishing that this is a dying world. with nothing mm-hmm. better than a bunch of death cults going. Oh for yeah, it, exactly. You know? Yep. And yep. So, and, what's the way yep. out of here. And I think we'll talk about it later thematically, but yeah, I think there's something really resonant. In the uh, Yeah.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Uh,
0: and I I don't know if if I want to talk about it yet, but <laughs> yeah, I'll just mention yeah. it here and then maybe edit it out. Yep. But the fact that this is an ongoing cycle. Yep. Is absolutely. Really resonant with the world they've set up.
1: Yep. Yep. For sure. Like this whole spiral of death. It is first explicitly discussed. Ah, I don't recall where it's first explicitly discussed, but it is definitely close to where Guado Salam is, which we'll get there in just a in a little bit. But yeah, this ah, yeah, you know what? We we are very close to it. It is introduced at the end of the Mushroom Rock Road. So why don't we actually get to that point with the story beats there? So mm-hmm. you go through High Road, and all of us there's all this hustle and bustle. The Crusaders, which is this military organization, that whose purpose is to defeat sin team up with the outbed the heathens of the religion and they use the one of the tenets of the religion is you're not allowed to use machina you're not allowed to use machines for anything essentially this is this is you're not w- w- there's this one particular uh, i forget. what do you know what it is the one particular jewish culture that's not allowed to use electronics on the sabbath what was it is it orthodox I forgot what they're called. i'm not quite sure but it's I think it there's might like Orthodox. yeah, yeah. I had to double check, but yeah. it's like that. It's they're not allowed to use machines in this world, and, mm-hmm. and that's purely because of the rules set by the, the religion here. So anyway, so clearly this military organization is teaming up with heathens, and they're breaking all the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to use Machina, and they're going to try to destroy Sin, this big monster, without using summoners. Um, which is what the world order has dictated is the right way to defeat sin. I'm not going to go through every single story beat here on me and high road, but essentially what happens is the characters go, they are our, our, our party kind of passively watches what's going to happen and all shit, uh, all hell breaks loose. Shit hits the fan. The party inadvertently gets caught up because a sin sin shows up. Sin spawn come out. Party has to fight sin spawn, and at the end of the battle, sin just he gets he gets tickled a little and just walks away. But everyone that was a part of this operation is damaged in some sort of way. Like many people die, many relationships are, many people who have, many f- friends family are gone egos are damaged and then this but this is really the answer to hey for this entire act the answer to this entire act is if you defy the world order this is what's going to happen to you right oh, yeah you yeah like you need to listen to this you have to use summoners to kill sin or else there's no other way to do it and so that's and So at the end of the Mushroom Rock Road, when everyone's dead, pretty much, that closes the act. And then Seymour, and as an end point for this, Seymour comes and plants this seed. Oh yeah, and coming back to your original point, Paul, Seymour at the end whispers into Yuna's ear, something related to help me end the spiral of death. And Mm -hmm. he was totally anticipating this entire time that this operation, everyone was going to die. And he just wanted to show Yuna, like, you have to you have to do what you're supposed to do. Oh yeah. You know?
0: mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. No, no, to I, totally, I totally agree. It's, it's easy to read this sort of as militaristic attitudes taking on something that they're unable to actually do anything about. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, so you can get like uh military, militarism, uh, critique in there. yeah, but yeah, a little yeah, bit, I th- yeah, <laughs> I think that you're right that yeah, it's really a demonstration. And mm-hmm. I think definitely when I was playing it, I didn't cl- really quite understand what was meant by the cycle mm-hmm. at this point. And yep. it's a very like intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, it's concepts, but you don't really know where it's going to go quite yet.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. Like, yeah, yeah, it's places. mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely introduced very subtly and it's paced out really well throughout the entire story. And then only until near one of the most climactic moments in the game, probably close to the end, do you really understand what this spiral of death really means. Yeah, so. Seymour leaves the party with that one thought when he introduces this idea of hey, what is this is your duty here? You know what you need to do. And so that actually opens up what I call act three from Jose Ottaway to Makalania right before we get to and of course we go to Gwala Salaam there. But in act three, the question is: what is a summoner's duty? What what is your responsibility as a summoner? Someone who has so much power? Mm-hmm. And who has the ability to defy death, essentially? Like in this kind of world order that we created, what's your duty here? And so that's Act three. And I just want to point out one other thing about right before we move into Act three is the like the scenes, the way the writers write these scenes is done really well. At the mushroom end of Mushroom Rock Road, like everyone is beaten up, downtrodden, upset, depressed in some sort of way. And really steps it up here and tries to cheer up her guardians. And when it comes to scene construction too, you never have a you always have to have a, some sort of value charge, right when you yeah. transition when you have your scenes. So in the beginning of the scenes, like at the end of Mushroom Rock Road, everyone's beat up. but at the end of particular scenes where Yuna is about to say, hey, let's get on and go to Jose. The value, you know, parties in much more higher spirits, the value tra- value value change is definitely there. So did want to call out, ooh, my chair just popped down. Um, <laughs> okay. did wanna my chair broke. <laughs> did it um, literally break? No, <laughs> my chair just literally broke. Oh shit. Uh, that's fine. I know what happened. I tried to fix it and it and I made it worse. <laughs> yeah. No. Um that's yeah like, but sounds like, me, like <laughs> office equipment <laughs> yeah i'm i'm lucky i didn't like oh my god uh, i didn't hurt myself there but I'm yeah so okay. yeah yeah me too yeah yeah. so just a quick thing about seeing writing scenes here i think they do a great job yeah so they head from josie to macalania quick note you meet another summoner isaru who is he has his two other guardians Fun fact, Quentin Flynn is the voice actor for Isaru. And Quentin Flynn is the one that did... He does Raiden in Metal Gear Solid. He does Axel in Kingdom Hearts. He does... What's the last one? He does Iruka-sensei in Naruto. So he's oh, like okay. everywhere. So on my last playthrough, when I realized it was him, I flipped out because I was like, <laughs> I can't believe this guy was in this game. <sighs> but yeah, now Act 3 is Jose through what I what I think is Jose through Makalania. Where Yuna is now um, thinking like, okay, everything else failed, this big operation failed. I have this power, what should I do? And so they go, and this is finally where they meet. They rejoin with Riku and they introduce this storyline with Waka and Riku about Waka's racism against the Albed, too. But yeah, now Riku's finally joined the party and everyone's much more happier <laughs> because <laughs> you have someone much more lighthearted join and now you can steal shit as a as the thief of the party. So right. it, it works out there. Yeah, I'm I'm still here. Yeah, I just finished that point. That bullet point finally. <laughs> like there was a <laughs> lot to those two bullet points. Yeah,
0: no, yeah. no, I'm glad you went into a lot of detail. Yeah. yeah.
1: That that's actually probably about I want to say six hours of first worth of gameplay there. In those mm-hmm. two bullet points, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to. Yeah, trying to pare yeah. it down as much as possible. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, try and pare it down and just kind of keep things keep things moving. But no, I, re- I really appreciate that you're like going into so much more detail.
1: Um, <laughs> okay, no problem.
0: Cool. So let's see, where are we on the?
1: Uh, we are in the pink right now, right here. Okay. See where I highlight? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right.
0: Okay. So yeah. When the party arrives in the city of Guado Salam, the leader of the Guado, Seymour Guado, proposes to Yuna saying that it will somehow ease Spira's sorrow, like some kind of trophy wedding type situation.
1: Yeah. It's definitely a political wedding that... He hopes to that Seymour has ul- ulterior motives when you you know go through this game a, a second playthrough, but he presents it as let's have a political marriage. It will lift everyone's spirits, uh, and of course, you're going to be able to continue on your journey. And it's just it's just to make people happy. Mm-hmm. And he plays he and like I said, you know, with the theme of the act, what's the summoner's duty? He he plays that card, and he's as summoners our responsibility is to make people happy. That's that's all purpose of our lives. And he plays that card. And of course, Yuna spends the rest of this act all the way through Macalani. i around, what should I do?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely feel like it's like definitely at this point. It was being like pulled in so many different directions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, yep. By this kind of like sense of like justice and duty and whatnot. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so... her
1: Oh, sorry. Oh no, go on. Yeah, that's definitely her psychological need throughout the entire game. Like the psychological need that she has to tackle with is the fact that she wants to be herself. She wants to be she wants to find herself, but she has been brought up in this religion. She is following her father's footsteps, sometimes stuck in his shadow. Just because he's been, he's her father was such a honorable person who sacrificed his life, and she's this whole story. She, her psychological need is trying to I, understand who am I, and and we'll get into that a little bit more. And but yeah, you're absolutely right. She's torn to so many different directions. She doesn't even have time to think about what do I even want for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I think going along with your, it's definitely. And if you look at it, like you have been arguing as a, as Yuna being the protagonist, that's like her, it's the story of her really realizing her agency.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you're starting to, I'm glad I'm starting to convince someone.
0: (laughs) No, I I don't think, I don't think that this, (laughs) I don't think it takes many, many leaves, especially we'll get into it, but and yeah. when, when we find out what happens at the end of the game, yeah, I think all it has to be Yuna. That's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. But yep, yeah, yep. that's getting ahead of at ourselves. least,
1: yeah, yeah, and at least like the major protagonist that the central story follows around. Every all these characters are important, and Titus is very close second. But I think when it comes to like how the story ties together, who makes the major choices, it's it's definitely Yuna. Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And And that's accentuated by the fact like they're in the Thunder Plains at this point, and Yuna decides she is gonna marry Seymour. It's her her choice to say that it's her choice that drives the next three or four, I guess you can call essentially the next three or four really large story beats. And so that's where we end up in Makalania Temple.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is when they They basically discover a message from the spirit of Seymour's father, Lord Jiskil. And he declares that he was killed by his very own son, who now aims to destroy Spira.
1: Yep. Yep. Which, those motivations still... I'm not entirely sure why he had to kill his father. I'll have to go back, but... I don't get it. Like... I, this was this seemed more like a plot device to me to just make sure Seymour is very clearly evil. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, like the important thing is what's holding this secret, right? The 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 message that the group discovers is um, Lord Discus' will that Yuna found. Oh, we did skip over this part when they were in Guadalajara, but they were over in the far plain. They were talking to images of the people that had died. And they're essentially just speaking to people's graves at this point. But that's where Yuna finds Jisco's sphere, Jisco's will. And that's where she understands and learns that Seymour killed his father. And this is where you learn that she decides to marry Seymour But her ulterior motive was actually to try to confront him about it. She didn't really want to marry him for the political reasons. It was mostly for confronting him for this atrocity that he committed.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And once she confronts him about it, they basically take him him out and kill him. Yeah, it's a...
1: Yeah. It's it like when she confronts him, it, it like shit hits the fan, right? Like it's and this is like a huge critical moment too where so the you the group catches up to Una and they gotta go out against Seymour, who's already flexed himself as like the most powerful summoner around in these parts of these parts of Spira. And so they go against him. If you're new to this fight, it's very difficult. If you're underpowered, it's very difficult. During oh, my stream, yeah, yeah. I definitely needed help from the people in my chat to figure uh-huh. out like what's the best way to do this when you're underpowered. Um, but here's the thing. So the fight happens, and then they kill Seymour. So what really happens here, though, is we talked about Unis' psychological need. And so... Her This whole time, she's been trying to figure out like what's the good of Spira, but she also had this weird moral need that suddenly the writers introduced. And and it's a really great one that I think really adds to her character. And it's this moral need of she needs to trust her party. She needs to trust Mm -hmm. the people who want to defend her and some of them even give their lives to her, which is also a big part of the story moving forward. But she doesn't trust them enough to tell them about Jiskol's will and that she wants to go and confront Seymour, right? Like, when this confrontation happens with Seymour, it's because... Everyone found out about the will after like after agreed to go marry Seymour. So they flip out, mm-hmm. they all run to try to save Yuna. Everyone's like blood is boiling. And then all of a sudden, like everyone's duking it out. And that's where the fight starts. So there's a hard lesson to be learned here. Because what happens is after Seymour's battle, they start getting chased by the Guado. And then they e- literally end up at the bottom of the lake. And it's because of figuratively, like Yuna. Kept all this to herself, didn't trust her guardians, tried to harbor all of this, all this emotion, all of this responsibility on herself. And where did that lead them? It led them to the literally a bottom of a lake. Learns very quickly, like she needs to start trusting the rest of her team. And and not just even though, yeah, she's the summoner she didn't have to hold these feelings and this information and this responsibility all throughout act three, which was from Jose all the way through Makalania. No. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's a tough lesson for her to learn. And mm-hmm. it's pretty much. Yeah. Really an essential one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do. I do feel like Seymour for as significant as he is, he's, taken out a little prematurely
1: <laughs> yep he is it is yeah. it is a little anticlimactic right the way he dies if you remember that cutscene, mm-hmm. he's uh, i don't even see it's so in it was pretty anticlimactic i don't even remember exactly what he says i think he just drops <laughs> yeah. i think his body just drops yeah yeah because he's wearing all this like black poofy robe thingy and it just falls on the floor pretty much (laughs) yeah so that like really sums up act three right what is a summoner's duty and overthought it and that's the lesson to be learned for yuna during act three like my yuna at this point should have learned like the summoner's duty is to bring hope to Spira in some sort of way but in no way shape or form should have been like i need to bear every single responsibility of this entire world yeah (laughs) Yeah. And then yeah, they end up in the bottom of the lake and then sin shows up out of nowhere. I did I would argue like it it's not like uh Dex De Machina here. It's like he, Sin showed up. Like the great algorithm of life within this game led them to meeting Sin. But, like yeah. it's a little it's a little out of nowhere that sin is there, but at the same time it's his actions led everyone to that moment. So it's understandable. And so they get transported most of the, this is where it gets a little bit, uh a little bit weird, but everyone gets sent over to Beaconal except Yuna for some reason, yeah. but they end up in Beaconal. And this is where I think starts really the next act from Beaconal all the way through Bavel, And it's all about what is sacrifice. And so, and I'll just talk through it here where it's like, everyone is looking for Yuna. They go to the Albed home. I think it's literally called Albed uh, like home. And they find that home is being under attack. And then they meet Sid, this Final Fantasy X version of Sid, who is Riku's father, who reveals that because of us being attacked, home is going to be destroyed anyway. Let's just take everyone down with it. Essentially, the religion, Yevin, is destroying the, the home because, you know, how bad are heathens that need to die, apparently. There, Sid says, hey, we're going to have to sacrifice home. And so the team is trying, struggling to escape home, even though they ran straight towards it in the beginning. I just realized, and that's also where they meet up with the other some other summoners. And one thing we didn't really brush up on, man, this game is there's so many like there are threads to this game. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the outbed were capturing summoners, and mm-hmm. for the very specific reason, under the guise of. We're gonna save the summoners, and then, and of course, Titus goes through the entire game, going like, "Why do the summoners need to be saved? If us guardians do our job, then what's the point?" The Albed they 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 think that by capturing the summoners and by preventing them from getting the final Aeon, that they're sparing them. And at this point, like no one else can avoid titus's questions right he's like why did you need to save the summoners what the hell does that even mean that's when yuna's secret is finally revealed and it's that summoners their journey is to is to summon the final aeon and upon summoning the aeon the summoner dies which is explains how Braska died her yuna's father which is explains just so much and of course when Tidas finds this out, he flips out. Yeah. He he reminisce, reminisces about like all the conversations he had with all the things he said that were super insensitive. Yeah. In, earlier we talked about was saying goodbye to Besaid. and then and, and then Tidus, hey, let's get going while he was saying goodbye. Most importantly, too, like visually, the the writers flash back to a scene with the the laughing scene my favorite laughing scene and yeah uh, he re- you know i think on the surface it looks like he's just re- reminiscing about the good times him and yuna were having but really i think it accentuates my earlier point much more titus i feel like at that point titus is titus realizes this wasn't just a happy moment right was trying to cheer me up when this whole time like she had to be che- the one being cheered up like, come on yeah like you know like he should have thrown that cheer spell much more throughout the game like he you know it's so like he goes through that and it, now that he understands the situation he's i got to go make it right either way they're in a burning building they got to get out yeah the team said they fly in the airship fun fact the in the beginning of the game where titus is salvaging Some sort of Machina in the first game with Riku in the very beginning of the game. That was the airship, if you weren't very sure, if you weren't aware of that one. So the airship's flying now. It's not stuck in the water. They blow up home. They you know
0: finally get our airship.
1: Yeah, finally get the airship. The game doesn't open up just yet, unfortunately, but it's still super cool to be flying around. And yeah, so they sacrifice home. Sid has his line about, we can always rebuild home. So they sacrifice the home; it's gone. You can never go back to it. I think in the original game, you miss out on items if you forget them. I think they patched that later down the line. And then, then of course, again that closes this and ent- the canal with the whole idea of s- sacrificing home and Titus learning about the sacrifice of summoners. Yeah. And so then they go and they fly off to, they learn about Yuna being in Bavel and oddly she's getting married and I would I would argue this is this these next next couple of scenes that come up I would argue they're fun at this point it's just action action yeah. the group flies off to Bavel she's getting forced to marry they crash the wedding and then it's just fight, it's just action. And then Yuna does this thing where she's she jumps off the building and she's like, Don't worry about me, I can fly. And then all of a sudden the team gets separated off again. Um like these are cool sets of scenes, but I feel like all of this could have happened elsewhere. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it it feels a little extraneous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like my if I were to like Say we wrote, like, a Final Fantasy X movie script. I would... It's this wedding scene. So, like, Yuna's forced to marry. So, what I would actually do is condense Bevelle. There's lots of things, little things that would have to change. But I would, like, I would make it so, like, in Makalania, like, that is when Yuna is actually getting married. And before... Right before they get married, that's when everyone learns about Jiskol Sphere, and that's when everyone learns about Yuna's motives, and that's when all this fighting and action should have happened. I feel like it would have tightened the story a lot more. Instead, we get this whole Bevel scene with like action, and it's just blot. And then, like things break down in the story here for sure.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. This is one of the. It's just a problem with like game writing in general. Is yeah. you'll get these sort of. <sighs> I don't know. Just I, I, th- I think the wedding story, uh, wedding story beat is is really worthwhile and stuff. But the way mm-hmm. it's the way it's actually, you know, played out, it's a little bit of a shaggy dog story. It's just yeah, it's, I, or even padding in a, in a way, yeah, At least yeah, I agree. It's implemented.
1: Yeah, I agree, and. It's like, that. so the wedding scene had. it's so cool to watch, right? It's fun to watch. The music's fun to listen to while you're beating down people to get to Yuna at the top of the altar. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Like, when you're younger and you're just playing it for the first time, it's awesome. But it's one of those things, and I feel like you you guys talked about this in your Final Fantasy XIII episode. So, there's a lot of pre-rendered cutscenes here. A lot of full motion video cutscenes here. I feel like the whole thing with Yuna saying, I can fly, right? Don't worry about me. I can fly. I feel like, I feel, you know, I have no way to prove this, of course, but I feel like they plan to have that scene someone's like, oh, wouldn't it be so cool if our main pro- our main girl jumped off a building and she's in a wedding dress and she says, oh, we can fly and, and she does this cool thing with the Aeon and it'll be an amazing video, right? Like someone yeah. said that two years before production ended. And then they they got the footage from whoever rendered whoever made that movie. I think it's like some development studio, in some uh, animation studio in Singapore or something, if I remember correctly. But like they sent the video over, and they're like, the developers are designers are like, oh shit, what do we do with this thing? <laughs> like, we don't want this anymore. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, let's just do this in Bevel. <laughs> like I feel yeah. like that's how awkward this whole segment seems to me. Like it's just it's super cool, but it breaks the really well thought out planned writing that the authors did the writers did up until this point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's an issue that they had on previous like final Final fantasy games with CGI and whatnot.
1: Yeah. I think I remember you you guys talking about it in final fantasy 13.
0: I think it's a, it's a shame because this game is so tightly written in so many different mm-hmm. ways but it's it is what it is
1: the scenes the story in babel is definitely has some of my favorite moments you have the this kind of heisty full motion video my favorite song in the game is Via Perifico, and so it's it's one of my favorite game moments for sure, where, you know, after everyone's imprisoned oh, – oh, by the way, that none of that makes sense. Like, they – the three people that can swim, they threw into the water to hopefully they'll drown, apparently. <laughs> Everyone else was thrown into Via Perifico, the land part. It's just it's just plot devices that just didn't mesh well together. But yeah, my point was like even though like Via Perico is my favorite song in in the game, um, it's my favorite game moment because it's like it's a slow piano song that plays while Yuna's by herself and trying to reconnect with all her um characters. And you do get these scenes where she's I'm sorry I did this on my own, really trying to tie up what what happened in the last couple of acts. So my favorite moments are there, but it's. It really messes up the story when you just want action action action. yeah, there's
0: definitely a uh, case of I don't know scope creep.
1: <laughs> so anyway, that's enough about me griping about that that portion of the story. Again, great stuff happening there, some of my favorite moments, but structurally, there's some there's a lot to be desired there. But now we start this new what I call a new act from calm lands all the, all the way through mount gagazet and from Eunice' perspective right how do you start over like you lived your entire life following a particular religion you lived your entire life following these tenets under thinking you understand who you are and all of a sudden everything breaks down the religion you follow has turned its back on you the people you thought you admired had turned their they ended up being sleaze balls so what do you do right like how do you get by and of course very appropriately, and I just love how they did this. Is it's you end up in the calm lands and they think through this in the calm lands. Oh, and actually, I even forgot this is where you have that big scene with Titus and Yuna. Um, they have their little moment in the lake in Lake Makalania where they're they, the very f- Famous Deki Dana FMV, where they share a very intimate moment. Creepy when you actually look back at it, like the lighting didn't work out too didn't age too well, but yeah. still a nice moment all the same. So now it's like for sure I has now embraced Tetis as someone she wants um, to spend much more intimate time with. But yeah, but really, from a, from Yuna's psychological needs, uh, from a from that perspective of Eunice psychological needs she needs to figure out like how do i start over where do i go from here i know i still want to do this pilgrimage because of una has this altruistic side to her she has to continue on or she'll hate herself and she actually talks about this during the scene with titus in, in the lake so she wants to continue but she's like how do i do this how do i do this and so you spend much of the time in calm lands in this very desolate area this is where you know, usually the final battle of sin takes place it's it's very calm serene music it's very it's a place to reflect and so they go through the calm lands they go through mount gagazet this is where kamari's story finally picks up he has to finally deal with these guys that've been sh- throwing shade at him all game long so here's a fun fact here is i didn't my first playthrough i didn't know this would happen i did not know so what the game does is it makes you solo fight two two boss like essentially it's a boss fight uh there's two enemies you have to fight in this boss fight and it's and you have to solo it with kimari i did not know this and i did not level kimari up the entire game (laughs) So oh, I had to God. play this game yeah. completely under level. And I'm like 12, 13 or something like this. I had no idea. I, I was screaming. I was like, I hate this fight. Like, I hate Kimari even more. Kimari's so pathetic. <laughs> but like, honestly, that was on me for neglecting a party member. I know. Um, it's yeah.
0: definitely a game where you have to... You will get screwed if you yeah. don't really yeah keep uh leveling up into your uh, party characters.
1: yeah yeah if you don't know what you're doing like it's a very it can be a very difficult game right like, people who play no sphere grid challenges where they don't level up the entire game like they can handle this fight no problem usually I think they're throwing items all over the place so they have to do a lot of grinding with stealing a lot of items with Riku but i i you have to really know what you're doing for sure but yeah, so the party goes through Mount Gagazette. He wins. He's, I'm the strongest Ronzo now, essentially. I restored my honor. And then, yeah. And then here is, yeah, this is where we meet Seymour one more time. And Seymour, of course, is, oh, we actually have another fight with Seymour back in Bavell. But yeah, Seymour pops up again. He then introduces the whole notion of, I will become sin and I will free your Titus's father. And so then now it's Seymour's true motives are like finally revealed. We don't know how yet. We don't understand like how he's going to do it, but we know that he wants to somehow become the next sin. So they I become, yeah go ahead I will become sin destroyer of worlds
0: <laughs> yeah
1: exactly yeah. and and that's exactly his motivation too i'm glad you i almost forgot about that I'm glad you called it out like he he calls he says i'm going to end Spira's pain I'm gonna kill everyone and so if everyone's dead no one can suffer if everyone's dead so that's his mindset here and so yeah the team defeats him again and then finally we get through through to let me see here yeah, so now, why am I blinking here? Oh, that's right, because there's more caves. Okay, it's just all, all right. caves at this point. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, they go through, they oh, finish yeah, going yeah. through Xanarka.
0: I mean, kind of think we're uh, <laughs> in caves. <one> yeah. <laughs>
1: they fight this huge monster that can be really tough if you don't know what you're doing. And finally, we get to this huge new kind of, I guess you can call it a plot point. We learn about Titus's existential crisis. He, we see a ton of faith, which are the people who sacrifice, essentially sacrifice themselves to be conduits of the aeons. So, if you summon an aeon, you're really praying to one of these faith people who sacrifice themselves. Essentially, mm-hmm. there's a lot more to it, but <laughs> that's how I see it in my head. Yeah, it's like you pray to this guy, you pray nicely enough, he'll send you a big monster to help <laughs> fight with you. <laughs> like, that's essentially what it is. But yeah, so right outside of between Xanarkin and within Mount Gagazet, there's a ton of faith. And Titus gets too close. And when you get too close to the people who made you, then you start having really bad Anxiety issues, and so he starts dreaming, and he learns that he is not a real person. He learns that he is of this dream Xanarkin that doesn't exist, because this Xanarkin used to exist a thousand years ago. It was destroyed, so we wanted a bunch of people got together. They wanted to preserve the memory of this beautiful city, so they just pretended to summon, and they summon up the Xanarkin, and that's where Titus came from. So.
0: This is something that has ignited an endless number of internet debates. Yeah.
1: But well, actually, yeah. yeah.
0: Like, what does it mean? Does it, does it mean I've seen people like say the Titus never even exists? I don't know. It's hard to it's it's hard to explain. It's almost like uh, you know. I don't know if you know about the like mysticism concept of the tulpa. Uh, oh
1: no i'm not familiar
0: it's uh it's basically like a r- real life being that's created by the thoughts and hopes of people like uh-huh. and uh-huh. i feel like there that's probably the best description for what titus is
1: yeah that sounds exactly it really Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, that's the thing. I guess if we want to get into kind of the details of how this worked. So there was a person who is within this pool of faith who's, I want to dream and summon this guy. And he has blonde hair and he calls himself Titus, even though his name is spelled Titus. And like, at that point, he's not real. He's an Aeon but he's like a magic person right like the aeons they have they you can touch them they can touch things they can destroy things but they're not they're like conjured by magic so that's the same thing with Tetis. he's just like a physical manis- manifestation of this magic so i would say titus that we've been following this whole time isn't real he's He's not a real person. He's like physically there, but he's not like a real person. But at the same time, he may have existed, right? Like, yeah. He may have existed a thousand years ago and someone just like dreamed him up. Oh, wait. Is this the argument that, like, oh, d- can dreams breed and like reproduce and stuff? Or is that what the argument you're, you're thinking about? Or uh,
0: it's along those lines. It's more of like, okay. if you put enough like thought and belief and stuff. Yeah. It into like inventing a yeah inventing a sort of being of some sort Mm -hmm. then they will like actually take on the i don't know attributes of an actual existing being even if they're
1: okay even if
0: they're not truly uh human
1: um yeah like i i i Right now, my mind is racing right now because I'm doing all the mental gymnastics of "Oh shit, okay, so if they died a thousand years ago, so is Tetus a thousand years old, what do they do? Do they reset the dream after twenty years or <laughs> like like now it's okay i don't want I don't want to get into this like in my brain because it's like, oh, I just went down this huge rabbit hole. I can see where people get into debate then <laughs> it's it's yeah, just it's magic. let's just call it that <laughs> perfect. it's perfect.
0: Yeah I've, got, yeah I've got i've got a uh soft spot for the kind of like weird mysticism
1: yeah <laughs> uh, it's no.
0: but yeah it's best to just think about it as magic
1: yeah no I, I definitely agree it's uh it's definitely fun to scratch the surface of these things and then for, but for me like i stop after my brain is no can't compute yeah <laughs> yeah Yeah, there are some important details here that Tidus learns, right? Once you you learn about Yu Yevon, and uh, maybe this is where I bring up, like I said earlier, way earlier when we were talking about the characters individually, like Yu Yevon ends up being introduced as the big baddie, right? Like Sin is just a puppet. Oh, I think actually that's even a line that they literally say here. Sin is literally just a puppet. Oh, he's the shell of Yu Yevon. And, like, they introduced Yevin and this, so they try to make the story this big epic. There's a religion that this guy started, he created. He was the leader of Xanarkin. And then Xanarkin was destroyed. So he wanted to recreate Xanarkin and all this stuff about punishing everyone, out, punishing Bavel with, with sin and all of this stuff. This is great for building a big epic. I really like Seymour. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It's like one of those things, right? It's Seymour really attacks Yuna's weaknesses really well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like the whole thing about setting doubt in her mind back in like the second and third acts, about making her forcing her to marry him because that's what he thinks is the right way to do it. Coming back and haunting her when it's like, I'm gonna be I'm gonna become sin. Like he's the one that's really attacking Yuna's weaknesses all throughout the story. And that's what makes a good antagonist, right? Like when an antagonist comes and attacks the moral and psychological needs of a protagonist, that's what we remember most because that's what makes protagonists struggle and go through the conflict that we remember very All throughout, at the end of the movie, what we remember is the protagonist suffering through and conquering the antagonist's antagonistic Advances, yeah. And that's Seymour this entire game. Mm-hmm. But then you get introduced to you Yevon, and he's the final boss, and he's just like this... I and mean, we'll get to it. He's just this like weird little thing that doesn't even have spoken lines. So no, it's cool you know, because it's... It's, like yeah. a,
0: it's a classic JRPG thing where... Exactly. Like you've got to have some random... Some random godlike figure or something that you... Ha- who's like the final... Antagonists mm-hmm. that you haven't heard about for the duration of the rest of the game, and it is really yep. one of my least favorite. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: yeah, there. yeah, for sure. Yeah, there, there just there, has there, to be. Yeah,
0: antagonists already.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't want to get too much into it, but did you watch the new Mulan movie? I did not. Oh, okay, no, I won't get into it here. <laughs> Never mind. It's <laughs> the same thing, though. There is definitely a villain who's the interesting villain. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, no, we have to be a little bit more PC here. We have to be more politically correct. Okay, just yeah. throw in this guy that looks like he's the evil one and then make Mulan be her as the final villain of the movie. <laughs> like, that's what happened. Yeah.
0: <laughs> just, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So it doesn't only really happen in JRPGs, but. Yep. Basically, Evan has been paras- parasitizing the aeons that come for it, including the final aeon. And uh, the cycle pretty much goes like this. It's the you got the final Aeon defeating Sin, Evan controlling the final Aeon, killing the summoner, and then Sin being summoned once again, which just continues this like endless cycle, which is the cycle that we were referring to and was alluded to earlier on. Yep. And this is the whole. Set piece of the ruins of Xanarclan uh, Xanarcond uh, is pretty despairing, but this concept of just repeatedly, no matter what you do, there's this guy who just like resets and turns back time. It's really disturbing.
1: Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. It, it is it is this huge concept of yeah, I I agree. It's a concept where. It's Yevon wanted to control everyone in some sort of way. So he introduces this cycle of death, right? How do you keep people in control? In this game, he weaponized religion. And so that's Waka personifies the um, purest form of what Yevon wanted, right? Waka is blindly following the religion, not questioning anything, hating everything that does not follow the religion and that's exactly what you haven't wanted so using sin as the enforcer of this control he can control everyone in this way in and in the lore of this game in the mythology of this game he weaponized religion to do this and to perform this control i did look into a i'm not sure if the writers intended to make this satirical to like what was happening back then in the real world, but definitely there's this very cynical view of religion and, and and the messages of this game if you look into it. Yeah. But yeah, that's his form of control, essentially.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I don't think it's too off base to say that, that they had a somewhat cynical view of religion in this game where almost everybody Almost every group is some
1: kind of weird religious cult. Yeah. Cult otherwise. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it gets worse in Final Fantasy ten too. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. And yeah, then you got Shalinda. We didn't even talk about her because I absolutely hate that character. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shalinda is this minor character that just runs around screaming, heathen, heathen all over the place. And it's just like, you got to calm down. Like, I, and I, I always... Every time I play, I try to get capture every single little bit of detail from these games. So I talk to people like three or four times because everyone has multiple lines, um, multiple spoken lines. So I try to capture every single little thing. Shalinda, after my first or second playthrough, I was like, "No, nah, I'm not talking to you no more." Yeah. <laughs> like, I was done with her. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, like the we learn about Titus's existential crisis, and he takes it pretty well, actually. He's just, okay, this is a new thing. We, the mission didn't change. I'm probably going to die. And this is when I realized in my last playthrough, there's a huge reversal of roles here now. Like, Tidus, I maybe it's a little bit abrupt, but it's not out of question. Titus like, really grew up. He finally stopped being such a child. And it really shows here after the scene. He learns about this existential crisis. And he learns that if we go and destroy Sin, like he's going to disappear. And he doesn't take that hard at all. He He takes his life as this fortunate set of events that happened. He's appreciative of his life and what he's gone through. And I think a lot of that really came from Yuna. Uh, like he took lessons from herself sacrificing personality and under now he understands what does it mean to be what does it mean to be an adult right like what do you have to give up to accomplish particular things and so he takes this existential crisis pretty well and every anytime like i think about Sometimes you see on like Reddit, like people complain about how whiny Titus is. Mm-hmm. So I'll come across that. I don't, I never respond. Like I'm, I'm the biggest lurker on Reddit. Um, so I, yeah. like you'll never see me. <laughs> so, yeah. But I always think about those comments and I always think about it. And I always think about this moment and I'm like, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that whiny. Not as much as I remember.
0: Oh yeah. It's kind yeah. of like the people who talk shit about uh, Shinji on a, uh, Evangelical, um, ev- evangelical, yeah, man, that guy, that kid has re- reason to be fucking traumatized. Oh like, yeah, you know, yeah, oh uh, yeah. Not to go yeah. on side track, but yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. It it for me, it triggers me the same way. <laughs> like I just, yeah. But because I I like to hide in the shadows and not and just hide in my little corner and not say anything. I don't I don't respond back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, and this is where you start paying attention to Titus. Now the roles have reversed, right? Where it was this super self sacrificing individual? Titus is now the self sacrificing one, and now he's marching to his martyrdom, and he's marching to his death. And he's, like, the one really now marching to his death now. He knows, like, where everyone's trying to figure out how do we save Yuna? How does Yuna live after the final summoning? Like, Tidus is the one who's really, he's the one really, no, I am going to die if we defeat Sin. And so it's just this huge reversal of roles, a huge amount of character growth he's gone through up until this point. And that goes through all the way until they finally reach Sanarkand. They get to you know, They you see that scene again where the ragtag group of kids with an old man in a furry. You know they're <laughs> sitting around. They're sitting around a fire, looking very solemn. The shoulder touch uh, Tidus gives Una is a little bit more appreciated now because of their relationship about Xanarkin. Now you know about the ruins. About why everyone's a little so sad is because it's they think that it might be Yunus last night, right? walk Lulu, Kimari, they're very sure. Titus and Riku are very hopeful that they can figure something out within the next six hours, you know? <laughs> and they're like scrambling. How do we figure out a problem that people in a thousand years haven't solved? And then the weird thing is orin like what's what the heck is going on in his head? Like, Orin. I still don't know to this day, did Oren plan for all of this to happen? Is he the grand mastermind of all this? And like, <laughs> because he's he me- wanted to make sure everyone got to what we'll talk about next. But actually, let's just get there. They go through. This is, again, one of, a great moment in game design. To Xanarkin. Uh, what was it? W- what's the song that's playing? Not To Zanarkin. What's what? The song that's playing here. So you get to. Everyone picks up their weapons. Everyone, it's nighttime. And you go through Xanarkand. And. Ah, oh, it's a. I forgot the song, but it's a very. It's a song that instills like determination in you, not to quote Undertale. It fills you with determination. It's somber, but also very inspirational. And of course, when you go into a random battle, the music still continues playing without exactly cutting to the battle theme. It's it's a great game moment. Yeah. So you go through Xanarkin, it's literally, it's like a last march, right? It's, oh my God, what are we gonna do? Yuna's about to die. We haven't figured shit out. Like, yeah, we yeah, got the yeah. two yeah. dumbest people in the party trying to figure things out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, how do we do this? And then unfortunately, they break it up with another stupid puzzle. You have to go through, like, the Cavern of the Faith puzzle. But then you finally meet... Yeah, so you finally meet Yunaleska, who reveals that the way the final summoning works is that you sacrifice one of your guardians. So you sacrifice them. They become the final Aeon. And then that final Aeon kills the summoner. And then Yevon becomes Sin. And Yunaleska, of course, describes all this. Everyone's, no, that's BS. And in a really, anyway, I just made it sound super st- stupid, but you know, these this is actually the next thing that happens is actually really great, where each character has their moment to shine. I really appreciate. So this scene, if you're not, if you have trouble with the bless you, Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so like this scene, like is a scene you would probably watch ten times. You'll be forced to watch it ten times because the Leska fight is so hard if you don't know what you're doing, and you can't skip cutscenes. So it's an insane scene to like watch over and over again. It's very long, and it's it, it, it. I'm sure like when I first watched it, I was like, "Oh my god, okay, here we go again." But from a story standpoint, it's very powerful. Like mm-hmm. this is the ultimate choice. That is being made for the entire narrative of the story. Like It is the choice that is made. It's like the climactic choice of this act. It's one of the most climactic choices that are made into this, in this um, entire story. And it is like when you are literally facing fate, like what are the choices you're going to make? You've got two options here. You can either risk dying and try to find a new way to fight fate. Or you just accept fate as it is, and and all the characters, their storylines all come together here, and under that theme, right? Oh, Waka, yeah. he's accept, yeah, Waka, he's accepted his fate. That or before he accepted his fate, I needed to have followed this religion, and I wanted to follow this religion, and sin sin was supposed to be destroyed, and I was gonna help make sure sin was gonna be destroyed, and I was gonna because of my good deeds, the religion will follow through for me and here he's finally right before while he's facing literally fate in the face Leska is about to rip and shreds he's like, oh what you know that's just because sin comes back like it's not worth the worth the trouble that we're going through lulu uh she does uh, i forgot exactly what she plays i think i do recall calling out that this is where her big sister moments come through. She's really just trying to make sure she supports Yuna as much as possible, Mm -hmm. uh, even though like fate is literally going to destroy them too when she's been the most level-headed one and Kamari doesn't really say much of course Oren is the one that incites all this conversation to begin with he's like telling them you need to make the choice right now he's the one that makes it pretty explicit he makes it pretty explicit like you have to decide right now are you going to just go ahead and and just lie down and let this the the sequence of events steamroll you over are you just going to Allow someone else to control the way you live your lives, right? And then, of course, Titus, who's went through the entire game questioning everything, he has his moment to shine, and he he tells Yuna, "Let's get through this, and we're gonna we're gonna find a new way to just destroy to get everything we want." I mm-hmm. mean, it really comes together. Then you have this fight with Leska, and the moment gets destroyed because she just des- either destroys you, and you have to watch the scene over and over again, I, or. Yeah. Or you make it through. I think my last playthrough, I it took me two tries. I think because I messed up my setup. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's an awesome fight. It's well done. The scene leading up to it is is a great scene. There's good scene construction here by the writers too. I forgot exactly how they did it, but but yeah, they destroyed Lesca, and now they screwed up. They screwed everyone right essentially. They made this choice to that they could never go back on, which is we're going to destroy the only known way of defeating Sin, and we're going to try to find a new way to destroy Sin. And then the game finally opens up. It says, okay, go find your way and gets throws you into the airship and lets you travel around and do all your fun little chocobo racing and um, <laughs> monster hunting and everything.
0: Basically, once you go on your uh, little odyssey and do your little side quests and whatnot, the group decides that they need to infiltrate Sin's body to battle Seymour and Jackson Prison Spirit as well. Basically, with Sin's host's host defeated, Titus's group vanqu- vanquishes uh, you, Yevon. Yep. And yeah. <laughs> as a result of this sin cycle of rebirth ends finally, and the spirits' faith are freed from imprisonment. Oran, who had been revealed to be unsent, is sent to Farplane.
1: So yeah, these are the last set of events like I think when it comes to like act structure that I've been talking about this whole time like this is where it's just the last act is just tying everything to to close nothing too crazy here, especially since you're, you know, running around in an airship anyway. You had this big battle with Sin. If you do some of the side quests, you can get Anima, which is Seymour's Aeon. You learn about a little bit about his backstory a little bit. Although some of it still doesn't make sense to me. And then you go through the final battle. You run into Seymour one more time. And this is where I feel like it was a little anticlimactic too. Because Seymour was definitely the hardest fight in this se- sequence of events um, that he just laid out through until the end. And he's definitely the hardest fight. What should have happened is Seymour should have been the last fight. I feel like, but we'll get to that. You finally meet Jacked. Jacked. You have to find him. He is Brasco's final Aeon. He's essentially manifest. He's the conduit to the body of sin right now. So Titus has his Titus and Jacked finally meet. At this point, Titus has learned about what kind of man his father was in Spira. Has learned about. Jack's self-sacrifice to become Braskus' final aeon. Jack has grown on Titus, right throughout this entire story. The pivotal moment of this little side B storyline is in Macalania Woods. They, they get to get to a sphere that Jack left for Titus, and it's a recording of Jack, and Jack is saying to his son, "Like I can't come back home. I have. I can't leave my friends." and you'll never see me again. I hope you're okay and I hope you see this one day. And I think that moment where you watch Jack's Fear and Titus understands like, "Hey man, like my dad wasn't that bad. He was such a dick to me when he was when I was a kid, but I when I look back at the scenes between him and his dad and his mom there, like he blamed his mom's death on his father, but to be honest, it seemed like his mom was the problem, <laughs> like she was neglecting her child, and Jack was like, "You should go go take care of him, so like he has these emotions that happen, and he's come to terms with them, and he realizes his dad's not that bad, and so they know Titus is now he's he at this point he's an adult too now Jack has grown up, he's grown up, they both know that they both like maybe they don't know of each other's fates, but they know, like, Jack knows he has to die. Tidus knows he has to die. And at that point, they all know, like, we both had to die. Like, the only way, like, we can make the people that we care about and we love now happy now is we have to sacrifice ourselves. And so they get right to it, right? Tidus is, hit me with all you got, dad, and all that kind of, those kind of lines. You finally beat you beat Jack, Nebraska's final Aeon, and then you Yevon shows up. Mm-hmm. And then this is where, like you were, Paul, you were explaining earlier, where you Yevon, he parasites all the Aeons. So this is where you have to kill all the Aeons, right? So, like, you have to summon the Aeons. This is weird. It's just really only for dramatic effect. Mm-hmm. The Ae- you know, but it is actually, it is very dramatic, though. I don't want to underplay it. Like, Yuna has to call her best friends that have been journeying with her, fighting for her, fighting alongside her, being with her when she was alone. She has to call them up one by one and kill them and just yeah. make sure they don't appear and Yavin doesn't come. So it's a huge heartbreaking moment for her. And yeah, and so you got to destroy the Aeons. And just a quick side note, this is where I feel like Seymour should have jumped in. Instead of fighting Seymour like before the Jekt fight, I feel like... Seymour should have found a way to fuse with you, Yevon, and been like, I did it, I'm going to become Sin, yeah, that's yeah, right, exactly. bitches, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, been, <laughs> and been like, I did it, you helped me, like, thanks to you, and all that kind of stuff, and then it's, then it's, yeah, that's a satisfying kill, like, when you beat Seymour that last time. But, no, instead you get this little, like, beetle thing with an eye symbol on it, and You could kill it in one hit if you want. Like you could literally throw, attack it with zombie attack, and then throw like a potion at it or like a phoenix down at it, and it'll die in one hit. It is not a fun fight. Yeah, no, very anticlimactic. Yeah, (laughs) it
0: does have a cool uh, kind of Cronenbergian, Cronenbergian quality to it. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. So the game ends, and I guess I'll get into the ending, right? Yeah, sure yeah has just sent all her friends to their death so they all start disappearing so the all anything that has been conjured up by faith the people who summon who summon these aeons and sin itself right sin is an aeon itself so they start disappearing and now that the faith can stop dreaming dream zanarkin is gone now mm-hmm. and then of course titus starts disappearing and so the team is sitting on top of their airship. The ending theme plays. It's, the title of the song is literally Ending Theme, If in case, just a fun fact there. Uematsu definitely, like, he just named it Ending Theme. Yeah, the I piano that. plays there. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I, I love uh, very literal titles like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Like Via Perifico is called Via Perifico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the ending theme is playing. It's the slow piano part. Then you have everyone's celebrating everyone's amazed at the spectacle lights oh oh my god how did i forget this orin disappears too before all this oh my god how did i forget about our boy orin uh he leaves like a badass he says this is your world now it's up to you on how you we just reset the world it's up to you on how you want to live it and his whole thing is i could not escape my fate I want to make sure you escape yours, right. and so that's his whole journey, and now that he's done, he's like, All right, peace, and he's gone. his theme plays, he leaves the best way possible. uh it's just an awesome scene, but yeah, back to the sad scene with one of the it's a definitely a big scene, a game big gaming moment scene. I don't think many people forget this scene, mm-hmm. and it's you know titus Titus is about to disappear, everyone else is like cheering and happy about the victory but he, he looks down in his hands. He's about to disappear. Yuna's the only one that realizes and she's you no know, this can't be happening because she suspected it this whole time. And then Tita says he's got to go. And then finally the hug happens. Tita's rudely walks through Yuna, which I thought was a little weird. <laughs> um, but even before that. So here's a fun fact in the English version. Yuna says, I love you. In the Japanese version, Yuna says, thank you. Which is very interesting localization choice. So, one is one is like they had to like uh, arigato. Okay, so they had to find, arigato is four syllables, essentially. Yeah, so they had to lip sync something that was close to four syllables in the English version. Mm -hmm. And so it's just an interesting change. Like, I feel like the it's I love really you was sig- a little abrupt. <laughs> Go ahead. It's a really significant change. Yeah. I, I say so, too. That they really care deeply for each other. The I love you in English makes sense, but it's a little abrupt to me. It's just a little bit abrupt. But if you think it on the flip side, in the Japanese version... She says, thank you, which is a, a bit a lot more appropriate. I feel like it's a, it's more appropriate only because it's it's more thank you for everything you showed me. Oh, one thing we didn't really talk about was like how much doubt Titus put into Yuna's heart, which led into her decisions of trying to fight fate. But he did that whole thing for her, right? Like it's, I would not be here without you. And it's just the thank you has so much weight to it. Of, oh, I'm not going to see you again. I know you're going to go. I just have to say thank you for everything.
0: No matter what, like, shippers might like to imagine. <laughs> it hasn't really been set up as a romantic relationship.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like, they, ha- yeah, for sure. Like, I feel the exact same way. Like, they had their scene in Makalania Lake. Like, they're they're making out, they're swimming mm-hmm. around, doing whatever they're doing in the water. But I feel like they weren't that intimate and close to be like, oh, I love you and everything. In a Japanese version, the funny thing though is like, although I appreciate the Japanese version where they say thank you, Titus's reaction is, oh my god. Like he like free like his reaction is he turns around and he's just, Did you really just say that to me? Uh-huh. So so the in the Japanese version where Yuna just says thank you and Titus is Oh my god, like that's abrupt to me, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's no perfect way to do it. Like, when in the English version, when Eunice says, I love you and Tidus' re- reaction is flip around and say, oh my god with that oh my god face, I feel like that was an appropriate reaction from Tidus. So, it's, maybe I'm just an, a dick and I'm just never happy with everything but I just wish like they in a perfect world, like Everyone is speaking both English and Japanese at the exact same time and reacting the same way <laughs> at the exact same time. Like I'll, I, I love that ending scene to death, but I just wish they could have combined both parts that worked well for each of those and combined it together. What, what can you do? It's it's there. It's a done deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yeah, Titus disappears, and then he the best high five in the world where he high fives checked. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the best high five. I've not seen another moment in history where a high five was so impactful <laughs> good yeah <laughs> yeah
0: yeah Agreed. and
1: then then we have literally i feel like the saddest scene in the game which is the kind of the epilogue moment yuna is whistling for titus to come back because he promised he would come back and so she's whistling for whoever knows how long mm-hmm. um they do the weird jrpg thing where she's speaking to the entire world in a ceremony but Ah, oh, and this is another difference with the Japanese and English version, right? Like, she says she's she has her speech, she announces that Sin is defeated, she's standing by the people left over, Waka, Lulu, Riku, Kimari, she, she has them left over, but all her other friends are gone. All the Aeons are gone, Titus is gone, Orin is gone, and so she has a speech, and her last line is, to the... The people and friends that we've lost or the dreams that have faded, don't forget them. And the direct, so in the Japanese version, she says the exact, exact same thing, but the way she says it, right? So she says to the f- people and friends that we lost, and then she whispers to herself or the dreams that have faded. She like says that to herself in the English version. And then she has her flashbacks of all her memories of the journey. And then she says, don't forget them. It's just so powerful. That one line where she's, I lost my dream. Like, I lost Tidus the dream. He was literally a dream and he was my dream. Just such a nice little subtle localization thing where the localization team did an amazing job there. The Japanese version, because of the way Japanese is structured, you don't have that impact. It's essentially literally saying the people and friends that we lost, oh, actually the language is actually different. So I take that back. She actually says something. A little bit different in Japanese. She says, the people that have sacrificed their lives, even for a little bit, please remember them. That's what she says. So, right. instead of whispering, or oh, the dreams that have faded, in the English version, in the Japanese version, she says, even for a little bit. She whispers, even for a little bit. So, you lose that impact there, too. This is where the localization team did such an amazing job adding so much more impact to the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how much of that was like intentional. And that's the thing, like with anything in life, right? If you have restrictions and you overcome those restrictions, you can come create something that's so much better. And I think yeah. the localization team did an amazing job here. Oh yeah. Um, a
0: phenomenal job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as much flack as they get for the lip syncing and stuff, like, These two ending scenes, they did an amazing job. And like Mm. now I'm a huge like weeb, right? Like I watch anime (laughs) religiously in uh, subtitle mode. I hate dubs and I know they do great work now in English. Amazing voice actors. Now I still just can't do it just because of I'm a stubborn dickhead like that. Um, But I am. Yeah. Yeah. But I will always play Final Fantasy X in English because of just these scenes. Like they really sold it for me. But yeah, that's the end. You get left with these sad feelings of she's been through this journey. She's made these powerful choices of self-sacrifice. And at the end of the journey, she she's lost many of her friends that sacrificed themselves for her own happiness. Um, and that's where you leave Yuna. And then, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you see this after credit scene and Titus wakes up. And you... Th- it gives you that little hint that he's still alive. And then unfortunately that leads to Final Fantasy x too,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, we don't need to get into that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I will say, Oh, go ahead. Oh no. The way that it ends, it's just such an incredibly like melancholy way to like end things because, and I don't want to, Think about Final Fantasy X two, how ruining it <laughs> because like basically they this whole society and world has been living in a cycle of just yep. death and rebirth mm-hmm. and yep. all and our heroes finally put an end to that but they lose their some of their most you know beloved m- members. And Mm -hmm. the male protagonist of the game does not even really, I don't know, exist.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: In any traditional way that we would think of a human being existing Mm -hmm. and the epilogue aside and what it might hint at the way I read it is he's not, he's, not in existence anymore yeah was, you know that's it's a cool kind of poetic epilogue adds a little ambiguity but my reading of it is that yeah he served his purpose and he is no longer no longer the, uh being that exists in the mm-hmm. world of the universe
1: yeah yep yep yeah and it's fun to at that time, oh, okay, we should have done this. Like, when did this game come out? Final Fantasy X wiki <laughs> oh, came out. Let's go back to 2001. Uh, 2001, okay. So, man, when I played this in 2001, I spent years wondering if Titus was alive. And it's so fun to think about that he's alive. They even released, you know, the international version in the Japanese market like a year or two later. And it had that whole scene, the set of scenes that hinted at Final Fantasy X-2 that he was actually alive. And you find out that he actually wasn't alive. It was just someone that looked like him. It was all this BS. But it's just so fun to think like this sad melancholy ending can't be the end. It's fun to think that way. But at the same time, don't you? I don't know. I don't know about you, but I love... I've come to love stories that end in this ironic way, right? Oh yeah. Like life is not happy, go lucky, happy endings all the time. Like when you, when a writer can tell a story that leaves this sense of irony in you. Oh yeah. Of course. Like people, we lose people. We just went through this entire epic. Like no one died Yeah, Yeah. Like of course, that's how life works. Like, not everyone's going to make it through such an epic like this. H- have you watched Marriage Story? I have not. Okay. It's, I don't want to say too much, but it it has one of those ironic endings. So it's, my wife and I disagree all the time. It's, she loves the happy endings. And yeah, I, I appreciate a good, happy ending too. Okay. How about this? Like everyone, okay. Everyone knows the ending of uh, Infinity War. I love the ending of Infinity War. <laughs> and like... And she's, like, "What that's how the movie ends. I hate this movie." I'm like, "No, that's the <sighs> best thing. It's just it just leaves you with this little bit of like bittersweet sadness of it just leaves you with a feeling,
0: and yeah, and there's got to be uh, yeah, there's got to be stakes, really. yeah, exactly. That, yeah, yeah, that's good point it goes goes without saying about any kind of fiction, but you can't i I think that it really speaks to like the sophistication of a story. And the confidence of a story, if it's willing mm-hmm. to not just kill off one character, and you know, yeah,
1: like Game of Thrones style, <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly, and just be like, "Well, oh, here's that crazy thing that happened for sweeps week or whatever." But to yeah. really do it in this way that sort of speaks to the like sorrow and ambiguity of even like
1: mm-hmm.
0: you, your successes in life and whatnot.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. Especially the point about raising stakes. If if you knew everyone was going to be come out okay, you wouldn't be as you wouldn't be as invested in these characters. And yeah, I I like your point about how your reflection about Yuna too and coming back to my earlier point about the story being all about Yuna, right? Like this ending just wants you to feel the feelings and emotions that Yuna feels, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's lost a lot. Like she had it and if you stretch it, you could even say the message of the story. What's what was the moral question of the story? And you can stretch it and say if you base it based on Unas, you can almost say sometimes change requires sacrifice. Like you could stretch it that way. You can say that was the moral question that this this entire game was trying to answer. And so, if you think about it from that perspective, you, you sit at the ending. You watch that final scene. Eunice sad. She's saying, please remember the sacrifices. And then, then you know, the song Dunn plays. The song, the translation, Isn't It Beautiful? Um, Very slow. They This is the orchestra, uh, orchestra-ized, orchestrated <laughs> version of it. <laughs> it starts with a sl- slow piano, introduces the major chords of the songs, and, and then it gets into the orchestra version, which is my favorite version of the song. And it just says, Isn't It Beautiful? And I'll just new things sometimes you just have to keep pushing through and sometimes in the course of pushing through it requires sacrifice and like maybe now that we talk about maybe that's what i enjoy so much about this story it maybe just to sum it all up here it's like this story i played this played this game during my formative years like i was a teenager and that's when you're like super impressionable and you have no idea who you are you're just a caricature of tv and movies that you watched and the cool kids that you thought you wanted to be at the time. And so, like, this game taught me a ton about self sacrifice. What does it mean to be yourself? What does it mean to struggle? And what does it mean to care about other people? And what does it mean to think outside of your own bubble with the whole stuff with Waka and everything? So it's had a huge impact on me. And just like thinking about, it's taught me about, hey, life is a struggle. You just, just in this kind of lesson that we're learning here is, you know, some, you just, sometimes you just got to give, there's no, there's no wind, there's, there might be a wind. It's like you have what you have to very carefully consider what are you going to give to create some sort of result and what's the balance you want to strike there.
0: So I, yeah, no, it's, I totally agree. And I think the other kind of major, th- or the theme that really stuck with me out of it was the, uh, sense that there are worse things than death and like stagnation mm-hmm. is yeah, you know, stagnation is a form of death in itself. And mm. sometimes you've got to make really uncomfortable, horrible sacrifices.
1: But yeah, that's you know, a that great point.
0: That's the entire cycle in short. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: No, that's a really great point. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. It, I feel like it could be read in both ways and it's really effective it's a really effective piece of storytelling, I think, for yeah. its time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I not agree. even for its time, like in general. And yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, you, I, what you just said there too, right? Like, I don't think any story I've come across really does this. Kind of makes me feel all the feels that it gives me mm-hmm. as much as Final Fantasy X does. Like, I'm, I still chase. Like every time I. Look into I don't I have a relatively busy schedule. Like I don't play many games. I play like one game a year. And every time I choose what that one game a year is gonna be, I'm like, oh man, is it gonna give me the same feels as Final Fantasy X? Like I chase Mm -hmm. that feeling. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever find it again. It's that's why I always end up re- just replaying Final Fantasy Ten. <laughs> <laughs> like, I try to be open about it, but it's just like, uh, I don't know. Like, Spider Man did it for me almost, I think. Right. Spider Man was pretty. Like, did you play that PS4? I did not play that one.
0: Okay. They're very, yeah. yeah. There are certain games I play a fair number of games, but there's very few that have a really like, uh, sort of such a strong emotional impact on me that I just go yeah. back and go back to them over and over. I think in yeah. recent years for me, near automata would probably be my choice. Oh, Okay. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. still on my
1: backlog. Here. Oh
0: man, man. It, <laughs> if, <laughs> I think you will find a lot. It's, it's an incredibly rich story. And it's, like, incredibly, like, thematically, like, rich. So mm-hmm. I highly recommend it because yeah, it has badass combat and lots of pretty interesting philosophical stuff to say. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, I'll definitely
1: have to check it out. That's
0: become my kind of go-to as far yeah. as the game. But, yeah, nice. those games are few and far between.
1: Yeah, they are. Because they're expensive to make. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> they're it's, expensive. You know,
0: and it's not, I think, something... We should probably wrap up here pretty soon, yeah. just time-wise. But uh, I think something that is really... Something that is so, sort of understate, understated sometimes when it comes to like video game writing is that mm-hmm. it is a collaborative effort and there's oh, a yeah. lot of hands in the pie. And so for mm-hmm. a game, unless you have like an auteur like uh, Kataro who did Nier Automata, that's very, very rare. So for a game Final Fantasy X to have such an affecting story and, and effective story while having so many people involved in it, yep. it's, it's quite an accomplishment.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Like we were saying before, like the music, everything about this game. We were talking about at the top of the show: the music, the graphics, the visuals, the setting. Like all this really came together into a really neat package, and it, they did it really well. And I, I, I rave about this game. And I, I know I'm biased, but it definitely deserves a higher spot in the like the rankings of Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy series. I don't know. Like, seven doesn't do it as much as 10 does it for me. Like... Oh, I,
0: I totally agree. I totally agree.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
0: But, uh, yeah, I'm, I've actually only recently really come to Final Fantasy. It was always, I don't know, I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was a Sega kid grow, when I was growing up, and then went on to, when Sega went under, went on uh, to uh, Nintendo. And, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think of, yeah, I, w- I would say it's only in the past couple of years that I've really come to Final Fantasy, mm-hmm. um, even yeah. though I've been a big fan of JRPGs. So, yeah. It's the
1: same way for me with uh, SMT.
0: Yeah.
1: I, Persona 5 was my first Persona. And oh my god, like the investment you need to put into that thing, I actually did not get to finish playing it. I had to watch it like on <laughs> YouTube. Unfortunately, I just there's no oh, way. No, like I know. I know, I was I was having a blast, but I was just like, I got too many responsibilities here. I can't pretend I'm living a Japanese high school high schooler's life. Like I can't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, well, when we did it for uh, Mega Ten Marathon, uh, it took us 10 months to get through it. Oh, so.
1: my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, I put 120 hours in the game already. I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Why don't, how about we wrap it up right here? God, thank you so much. You have been such a font of amazing knowledge, Andy. And <laughs> it's been a real pleasure having you on.
1: I appreciate that. I'm definitely not as knowledgeable as some like you should go find like Dan at SG03go. Yeah, some of the YouTubers out there that have been talking about Final Fantasy for a long time. But yeah, no, I but I do really enjoy this game, so I'm I'm glad I was able to share what I know because this is a game like I said, I'll come back to you all the time. I can talk about this all week. So thanks so much for giving me a platform to get on a pedestal and talk about it for so long. I know we've gone on for a couple of hours now. Oh, no,
0: <laughs> it's been a total pleasure. It's been great talking to you, really unpacking, like <laughs> unpacking like, the story and the themes. It's, it's just, I don't know. We've touched on a lot of things. I think this episode is yeah. going to be almost four hours when it all comes. Oh together.
1: man. But, yeah.
0: but that's good. We, I've, we've touched on a ton of stuff and yeah, you know, more generally about storytelling, you know, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Before we oh, thank out you. Here, oh yeah. Sure. Anytime that you want to come back, please. do. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I love to make. I love to collaborate again. If there's, there's not, I probably wouldn't be good at any other game. There's something (laughs) I can look into. We'll connect.
0: Yeah, we'll stay in touch. Is there? What would you like to plug before uh, we uh, head on out of here?
1: Yeah, right now my primary project right now is I am working on a podcast. The name I'm still trying to figure out the name though. I'm working on season one. Right now, the name is Life in Games. That's the, the current working title right now. We focus on telling the journeys of some amazing people who've really found uh, unique careers in the gaming industry. So my first season, yeah, I'll just announce it here. My first season, I talked to an artist. I talked to a music composer, a game developer and content creator. I even talked to a Go player. So all these people, they have found little pockets in the gaming industry to make an income and actually like play games for their careers and so i talk to them learn about how they do it if you want to follow oh man i, I think i'm gonna have to ask you to plug that later in post but yeah, i'm still preparing all the social media stuff but yeah yeah if, if, i'd love to i'm hopefully it'll be out in a couple of weeks and by the time anyone's listening to this hopefully it'll already be out <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'll have that info in the show notes once you have it all
1: finalized. Yeah, that'll be great.
0: Yeah, and you do some YouTube uh stuff as well.
1: Oh yeah, know the YouTube stuff, that was like experimental. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I probably won't plug that. I guess the only thing I'll plug is if you do want to find me actually I probably should have done all of this before <sighs> If you want to find me, definitely find me on find our website on lifeingames.io. That'll be the website, and that's where you can keep up to date with everything. It it doesn't exist right now. It's just (laughs) it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome.
0: I think that it sounds like an awesome idea for a show, and I'm looking forward to (laughs) to it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, as far as on my end, uh, I would just say if you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and the other places, that would be great. The uh, Spread the Word. We're Combo Chain FM on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook. And on top of that, let's see if there's anything. Oh, yeah, of course. There's the other podcast I host, uh, Megaton Marathon. Which is a journey through the, yeah. Which is a game by game journey through the Shimagami Tensei and Persona games. So yep, yeah,
1: definitely have to check that out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. We try to
0: have a lot of fun with it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andy. Let's uh. Let's no. Thank you, down. Paul.
1: Yeah, for sure. We definitely need to reconnect soon.
0: Cool. All right. Yeah. Take care. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody.
1: Thank you.